Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And today we have a guest with us, Lucian Greaves from the Satanic Temple. Yay. Say hello, Lucian. Hello, how are you? I think we're doing all right. Yeah. Hanging in there. Yeah. Uh, it's shaping up to be a better um, better year now for the past few days. <laughs> so far, so good. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. It's so, be hard to be worse, but... Yeah. I don't want to tempt anything. No, I mean, your wife got a vaccine, so... Yep. A little bit closer. Frontline worker, we're getting there. Yeah. Anyway, um, I got, I don't really know where to start. I think uh, anything you want to tell us about yourself and how you came to be involved, and really, if someone bumped into you and asked, what do you do and what is the Satanic Temple? Um, I think a, a from-the-ground starting point would be really interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes I'm on flights or whatever, and people will ask what I do. And, uh, you know, it's funny how that one still catches me off guard. Sometimes I tell them because that, that shuts them up more than anything else. <laughs> but I, uh, but I uh, also found that if I tell people that I run a nonprofit, they tend not to ask what the nonprofit is all about. So I guess that sounds sufficiently boring that people don't, don't follow up with it. But, uh, I'm, I'm co-founder of and spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. <laughs> the and now I find that really interesting that people don't follow up because, like, if someone was running a nonprofit, my first question would be like, "Yeah, I'd be so interested." Like, oh, what kind? Like, you know, oh. I, I can't think of a time where somebody's asked what the nonprofit was all about. I think it. They must be <laughs> just doing the thing of asking, like, "Hey, how are you?" And they're not actually. They don't really care. Like, oh. what do you do? Oh, cool. You know, or maybe the they think he just said a nonprofit. He doesn't want to talk about it. Hmm. Oh, I suppose <laughs> that could be. Yeah, that's part, probably part of it. Huh. So if I did if I did follow up and say, well, what 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 nonprofit do you run and what do you guys do? Oh, I'd say the Satanic Temple, and and we uh, we fuck up theocrats. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. Nice. Yeah. So I. Uh, I'm assuming at least some mature, some portion of our listeners will already be familiar with this, but for those who aren't, uh, the Satanic Temple is, I'm a big fan, but you guys don't believe in a literal Satan, which is so far the case I found in every sect of um, Satanism that I have had contact with. None of them believe in a literal Satan, but um, or, or in your case, any supernatural powers at all. Uh, my first question was going to be like, what? What do you like about the mythological Satan so much that you named your organization after him? Well, I think there's a real power in these fundamental myths, whether we believe in them literally or not. We grow up steeped in this culture where it kind of sets the framework, I think, for some of our basic fundamental ideas. These these archetypes uh, stick with us you know, one way or the other. It, it makes the imagery very powerful. It makes the, uh, the, the, the content of the mythological framework very powerful. And it also has this kind of intuitive appeal because we have this kind of sense that, you know, the, the ultimate rebel against tyranny is Satan, you know. So people ask, like, why, why Satan? Couldn't you pick something else? And the answer just really is no. You know, nothing else could really take the place of that for us. You know, it's uh, it's really entrenched in our consciousness. And, you know, I, I, people either get that or they don't. Uh, some people never quite grasp why it would be important to us when we're non-theistic. And other people see it right away. I, I guess it just comes from, it 
just depends on where you come from, you know, and, and how much exposure one might have had with these things in their own lives. But I think now, currently, seeing the overreach of Christian nationalists, at least in the United States, a lot more people than otherwise would have, I think, do intuitively understand the value in, in what we're doing and, and the, uh, the, the, the power and the meaning behind the myth of Satan. I think there's also probably like a lot of branding power there too. You know, if it was the if it was the Church of Thor, like I don't think it would make headlines as much as the Satanic Temple wants to put a statue in this courthouse or something, right? Like that's true. It, yeah, it, 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 that's like why. The that's you're, you're, yeah, the theocrats you're fighting are, are largely Christians, so they they already have to tacitly acknowledge the existence of Satan, <laughs> right? Right, and, and I'm mystified about how many emails we get from people saying, "Wouldn't you get a lot further?" If it wasn't Satan, and I'm pretty sure we wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, earlier attention we got was obviously because of the uh, uh, clickbait value and saying, you know, Satanists are doing this, or you know, Satanists are objecting to, you know, mm-hmm. something some Christian theocratic group was doing. It, it's something that uh, people can read in like all of like five words. Uh-oh. I think we just lost him. Oh, he'll be back probably, although we might have to start over. Okay, there we go. I'm sorry. I think the last thing you said was that um uh you would you don't think you would have had better results going with a different name? No. I, you know, saying that satanists are are fighting for equal placement or whatever, you know, that's that's very given to clickbaity headlines set. Uh that wouldn't be as effective if it were something else. Um, and, and of course that that's not to say that's the, the reason we're Satanists. That's, it's not, it, it really has to do with that, you know, fundamental basic, uh, uh, power and these kinds of entrenched myths we have in our culture, but also just, you know, people saying that we do better if, if we could just call ourselves something else, I think is misguided as well. <laughs> I also think too, like the um, there's there's at least among some fringe, you know, in in theocratic circles that uh, like, oh, you you atheists are all Satan worshippers, and it's like, all right, fine, we'll fucking own it. Yeah, Lean yeah, it. it's funny. Like, no, that's uh, not us. It's those guys. <laughs> I used to be accused of being a being a Satanist before I before I came out in the open as a self identified Satanist, and now. Uh, the detractors hardly say anything about that. You know, they, they can't, they, they, they don't bother to, uh, to, to uh, some of them don't bother anymore to try to tell people what Satanism really means. Um, it, uh, oddly they'll, they'll claim that we're either not authentic Satanists or that we're something else entirely. We're working at the behest of George Soros or, at the, even at the completely <laughs> Which opposite is worse. end, <laughs> yeah. But there's also the completely opposite end of the spectrum too, where it's like we're secretly these crypto fascist Nazis as well. Oh, well, that's interesting. If only one of those is true, you'd be getting bankrolled from somewhere, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> so the I'm kind of curious: is the name more like of an outward facing thing for the effect on the public, or is it more of an internal uh, identity sort of thing, or is it both? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's both, but like, which one, which one would be more important to you personally? 
Well, I think as a religious community, it's important, of course, that this has internal meaning to the people who are adherents of it. And when you see our chapters, our membership, the events they do, and, you know, journalists have noticed this and and more academic authors who've explored new religions and, and started growing interested in what's happening with the Satanic Temple, noticing that we actually do have this community that has these internal activities, ceremonies, rituals, and things like that, that aren't at all public facing, and that this entire thing is acting as a religion should for anybody who is a religious adherent. It, it definitely uh, takes the place of religion for the people who are practicing it within the Satanic Temple. I have no reason why somebody would, you know, I have no reason to believe that we're lacking anything as a religion, even though some people can't wrap their head around non-theism. So I, the, you know, the internal meaning it has for, for people who are adherents of it, I think that's of primary importance. But that being said, the outward appearance isn't something that troubles us either. And like I said before, you know, I, I feel like the fact that we're Satanists really uh, gives people this impression that they have some understanding of what this is or makes them interested in where we're coming from. So if, you know, the, uh, if there's some motivation to draw eyes to news stories or whatever, this certainly doesn't subtract from it either. Did you have four? Uh, I'm curious whether, I guess, any of your adherents or people that you've run into on, you were saying, like, on a flight have been genuine believers in Satan and and what like that interaction was like? Well, we don't, it doesn't take people long when they come to the Satanic Temple to note that we're non-theistic and people are always really quick to point that out if there's any, any mistake that anybody has there. And we have sometimes gotten angry theistic Satanists getting, <laughs> uh, getting outraged saying we're, uh, we're misrepresenting their beliefs or whatever, which are based on on nothing quite clear. You know, there 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 isn't really a uh, there isn't really a widely recognized theistic satanic bible or or uh, or organization that that I can really really think of. There was the uh, the Temple of Set, which took a took a theistic frame of mind on things. Um, not terribly large now, though. I don't know how how active they are, especially now that their, their founder is dead. And that's the um, Egyptian set. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was a spinoff from the church of Satan, which was quasi, <laughs> quasi non-theistic. Uh, they, they seem to have very confusing mixed messages when it comes to uh, magic and supernaturalism. And, and, you know, yeah. they, they claim, uh, they claim to be atheistic, but they also claim that, you know, they, do rituals that harness supernormal powers and things like that. So they seem to kind of uh, have constructed their message to whatever audience they're speaking to at the time. But I don't think any of those movements are terribly large, and it's always hard to know who's just a random person on social media and who is actually representative of a community. Yeah, I sort of love the idea of just like a disappointed, like heavy metal dude leaving. Like, ah, oh. I was supposed to get awesome axe shredding powers. I brought my dead baby and everything. 
Well, a lot of that, a lot of those messages come from uh, countries infested by Western missionaries. Yeah. They've been fed this idea that they can sell their soul for wealth in the real world, wealth and fame, and they're willing to do it because they're in a desperate state. So we, we do often get emails say from people offering to sell their soul to the Illuminati for money and things like that. Oh, damn. That's, like, upsetting, but, like, I'm hoping that, like, you can actually point them towards, like, genuine resources. Yeah. Like, hey, here's, like, you know. The- yeah, but it is alarming to see how we're exporting the worst elements of our of our culture to, to other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about, like running into theists who believe in Satan, like have, has anyone ever like run away from you or like tried to pray at you or anything strange like that? Yeah. I've, you know, people recognize me. Um, and, and that hasn't happened in some 10 months now because I've stayed in through the course of the entire pandemic. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, if people recognize me and they're going to say anything, that's typically because they approve of what I'm doing and, and <laughs> you know, uh, are, are happy that they saw me. So I probably don't notice, you know, the negative responses as much because they're, they're quiet. But I, I went to the gym one time in Salem and some guy really was insistent at, at praying for me and asking my permission to pray Salem. for me. And, oh, and I was telling him like, you can do what you want to do, but I'm not, I'm not having any, any part of this, you know, but he, yeah. but he was, he was really pushy about it to the point where I had to tell him to fuck off. And I, I feel like it was, uh, I feel like it was a case of him recognizing who I was and things like that happen. And I, you know, and I'm not clear as to whether it was because they recognize me or just because they're deranged people. That's right. the thing. That's the thing about being somebody who could be recognized now. Now, if somebody's staring at me really weird, I, I'm not sure if they're just a weird person or if they have some, ideas that came to them from having seen me in some other context. Hmm. So the thing um, to, to move forward, this is the thing that got me really interested in the uh, satanic temple was when you funded the Baphomet statue, which I don't even remember how many years ago now that was, but uh, I jumped in on that Kickstarter and that was, I, I'm still like really happy about that and sometimes talk about it, but the, the Baphomet statue, like really briefly is sort of a goat-headed aspect of Satan sitting on a throne with two kids <laughs> on either side of him. Kids as in uh, adult, I mean, human children, not goat children. Um, and <laughs> the, and, and uh, it's, it's just kind of like a religious monument, right? It's not overly evil or anything. The kids look to be looking up to him. He's, you know, got this wise, sort of wise look on his face as far as you can tell with a goat. <laughs> But a very sage looking goat. <laughs> yes. But uh, it was originally a response to the, a, I forget which city it was that was allowing religious monuments in one of their uh, public parks. And it was all getting Christian monuments. Is that correct? Well, it was Oklahoma and Oklahoma had some of those uh, spineless lackeys in their, uh, in, in the house who, uh, were pushing through model legislation penned by the Congressional Prayer Caucus or some other arm of uh, Project Blitz. 
where you know you have these these well-financed, well-networked theocratic groups throughout the United States, and they'll pen model legislation, and uh, they'll they'll give this model legislation to their mindless pawns in other states who just uh, fill in the blanks, sign off on it, and pass these laws. So we saw a Ten Commandments bill passed in Oklahoma, where they made the argument that uh, putting a privately donated and financed Ten Commandments monument on the Capitol grounds wouldn't be a breach of the Establishment Clause because it's privately financed and privately donated. And it's not uh, government speech at that point. But of course, that means they've opened those Capitol grounds to other private donations. So we said, well, we'll will donate a satanic monument on the Capitol grounds and they can't engage in viewpoint discrimination and say, we're not putting this up because it's satanic and the other one is, is Christian. And the, this was very early on, like 2013, um, when the satanic temple was just getting started. And at that point, we're mostly just a couple of guys trying to let people know the vision we have for this. So, when we jumped into the fray in Oklahoma, we weren't really ready. We just sent a letter uh, to uh, the Secretary of State's office, I think it was, in Oklahoma, and said we wanted to donate a monument. And I think we were, it was an exploratory letter, I think, asking for more information or, or the proper forms that we would uh, fill out to do this. And we didn't expect that just sending that letter was going to bring us media attention. But the very idea struck people at the time. You know, now I think more people do these kinds of things because we've done them and, and we're expected to do these things now. So it, it might not be as big of a news story, but just having sent that letter drew this media attention. So we had to hurry up and put together crowdfunding because we had no idea how much this would cost. When we sent that letter, we didn't even have a, a monument design idea yet. So oh. we set up crowdfunding for like $20,000, which was, you know, ridiculously lowballing it just because we didn't know at the time. It, but we also were really desperate to raise that money because we, we didn't have financing. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't want to, we didn't want to bluff with anything. When we were, when we originally formed the Satanic Temple, we wanted to be clear that we weren't going to send out demand letters and things like that unless we intended on following through. And we wanted to make it clear uh, with everything we did that we, we would follow through. We wanted to gain that reputation because it was, we knew it would be way too easy to think that this was just a prank and that we would we would let things stand at a letter itself, you know. So we're desperately scrambling to get the uh, the monument together, and of course that included coming up with the monument design. And really, we wanted the design to address all the claims behind the Ten Commandments monument. They were saying the Ten Commandments monument served a secular purpose; that it uh, it somehow. Um, uh, stood for American values, judicial values, because uh, based on this erroneous idea that constitutional law was somehow based on the, these biblical laws, the Ten Commandments. Um, and, you yeah, know, and we, thou shalt have no other gods before me, just scream secularism. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. 
and, and thou shalt not speak the Lord's name in vain. That's, that's, uh, that in no way contradicts the first amendment, I guess, you know, <laughs> there's a, yeah, there, there's a lot of bad arguments there, but we feel like we made a monument that actually could use those arguments. You know, we, we said that this stands as homage to those who have been unjustly persecuted in witch hunts that have helped inform the, the fundamental basis of uh, secular law, innocence until proven guilty, material evidence, that kind of thing. And also, you know, the binary elements of the Baphomet, Baphomet monument, the uh, part animal, part human, pointing above and below the inverted pentagram and the, pen, you know, and the pentacle straight up. They're, uh, they were indicative of the reconciliation of opposites, pluralism, viewpoint neutrality and diversity these kinds of first amendment values and oh, furthermore also, um, depicted as hermaphroditic and like i guess the more not safe for work i like you see on tarot etc so the binary uh, gender thing as well <laughs> oh well we th- like, that yeah was... that would be hard to pull off on the statue but yeah. well you know. right and that was the subject of a lot of debate we knew people would we we knew we would get pushback and complaints about taking off the breasts, but also working with the artists, working with a covered chest looked terrible artistically. <laughs> and we just knew the ba- bared breasts would have changed the entire argument. They would have said it had nothing to do with religious discrimination. They just weren't going to allow, you know, this pornography on the, uh, <laughs> on the grounds. And I feel like, you know, there, it is worth arguing that that's, there's nothing pornographic about that, but we weren't going to allow that to become the extra step into getting yeah. to the, the basic, the core argument that this was viewpoint discrimination. They didn't want the monument there because of Satanism. So we went with the Iggy, Iggy Pop torso, or the artist went, you know, molding based on, <laughs> based on Iggy Pop, the, the torso of this Baphomet monument. Oh. We also made it very clear that we did not want our monument there in isolation. The mon- our monument was meant to be there on grounds where the Ten Commandments monument was standing, or other religious, uh, or other religious monuments, because we wanted it to be a monument to pluralism and to complete that picture. There needed to be other viewpoints, right? So at the point where the Supreme Court of Oklahoma decided that the Ten Commandments monument was, in fact, uh, illegal and needed to come down. Uh, we and they took down the Ten Commandments monument. We withdrew our uh, our demand to have the Baphomet monument placed on those grounds, and then we moved the fight directly over to Arkansas, where another mindless clone of, of a of a senator. Uh, just signed off on model legislation. Uh, Jason Rapert in Arkansas, uh, just acting as a tool for larger theocratic organizations, pushed through the same the same model legislation that was used in Oklahoma. Same arguments, except in uh, in the in the case of Oklahoma, they didn't deny our our requests; they just ignored them. In Arkansas, they straight up uh, they straight up denied us. Any placement on the public grounds. Uh, the senator there, Rapert, has gone on these tirades about how it'll be a cold day in hell before there's a satanic monument on the Capitol grounds. Failing to mention now that we did a uh, we we did a rally 
and and this is kind of the climactic scene in the documentary Hail Satan, where we brought the Baphomet monument on the on the Capitol grounds for a day, and we had a rally. We gave our speeches. Um, we confronted uh, people with Confederate flags and 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 shitheaded uh, uh, neo Nazis who called upon all white Christians to show up and, and protest our event and that kind of thing. And uh, you know, it, it just it's funny because when we did that, you had uh, these politicians in Arkansas saying that yeah, we have a right to assemble, we have a, a right to do this rally. There's nothing we can do about it, but it'll be a cold day in hell before our monument is on the Capitol grounds. And it's like, what do they think is the legal distinction there between us having the access to the Capitol grounds for a rally and us having uh, access to the Capitol grounds for that kind of free expression that they're allowing for other private groups? Is it, uh, I guess they just, to me, it, it kind of invalidates their claim that they have a right at all to say that we don't have a right to put the monument on the public grounds. But it just seems like they feel that they have some kind of right to put limits where they feel appropriate. And yeah. I, I just feel it's indicative of having people in public office who have absolutely no understanding of either the letter or the spirit of the law. I loved how it really pointed out the hypocrisy behind those sorts of movements, because this was still during the time of, you know, the atheism, religious conflicts and and people would just say, look, no, it's just, it's privately funded. We're just allowing people to exercise their free speech on, on the Capitol grounds. You know, this, the government isn't getting involved at all. And obviously they have tons of people with lots of money that want to put up their Christian bullshit. Uh, but then the second that someone yeah. comes over with a religion that they find, you know, distasteful, it's like, oh no, you can't do that. And it, it just... It shows it was always about promoting their religion on the capital, on the government property, and nothing at all to do with just giving people the freedom to speak. Yeah, and there's there's so so much, so many disingenuous arguments that came through the course of this whole thing from Arkansas's side side of this. The, the senator Raper kept saying that because it was privately donated and privately funded that none of this was coming at any cost to the taxpayers of Arkansas. And he knew he was full of shit from the start. He knew that this was going to provoke uh, various lawsuits, right? And I, I kind of feel like there should be a smell test on these little uh, individual crusades put forth by uh, senators and congresspeople, lawmakers of any type, where they, they want to push through something uh, that gives exclusive preference to their religious voice. And I feel like if there is no real compelling state interest to do something like this, and you can reasonably assume there's going to be expensive litigation, constitutional claims against it, I feel like it really should come at their cost somehow. You know, there should be some kind of censure against them for for pursuing these kinds of agendas because as it stands now there is no there's no harm in it to them and it's no cost to them either rapert made a ton of money off of crowdfunding for his ten commandments monument he way over funded for it that monument costs like 18 to 20,000 dollars he crowdfunded for 100,000 dollars the first one rectangle was, with the word 
words on it too. Yeah, it's- the first one was run over by a car. Uh, so <laughs> a born again Christian smashed into it. Um, I love that detail. Yeah, uh, right, and, and he tried to blame us. He tried to say that you know <laughs> he, he was he was publicly exploring the options of using some kind of obscure anti terrorism bill to say that we had we had promoted this idea that the uh the Ten Commandments monument should come down so we were some kind of uh terroristic overlords in this born again Christian crashing into the Ten Commandments monument. And you know, I think by the standards the Secretary of State has in Arkansas that it should have been insured, right? But he starts crowdfunding for it anyway. So he's just he's just rolling in the dough. And then after it was run over, they put up these security bollards, you know, these big kind of concrete pillars uh, 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 on four points surrounding the Ten Commandments monument so it couldn't get uh, taken out by a car again. And I'm not sure, but I think that was paid for by the state. But I am sure that the case is being defended by the Secretary of or not the Secretary of State's office, but the Attorney General's office in Arkansas. So the people of Arkansas are paying for this meaningless litigation to put forward Pastor Senator Rapert's little crusade in Arkansas, and all the while he's profiting from it. And there's going to be no consequence for him at the point where the courts say that the Ten Commandments monument has to come down, which they almost certainly will. Oh, I didn't realize that was still in litigation. Yeah, it's still in litigation. We were supposed to have a July uh, hearing um, and it got delayed due to COVID and now they're just kind of sitting on uh, some motions that the, the judge needs to rule on and it's, it's taken a really long time now. Uh, everything just kind of got got h- held up by COVID and then just seemed to grind to a halt but uh, but that case is still moving forward and I'm still I'm still very confident about that one. Uh, Rapert has been so stupid in the way he's presented his case, and he's been so open about the religious purpose and meaning of the Ten Commandments monument. He hasn't displayed any of the savvy of somebody who's work who's aware of the legal angle he's trying to work in the bill he signed off on. You know, he sometimes throws in some. Uh, some terminology about heritage and history, the secular purpose of the monument and stuff like that. But that doesn't work when, you know, on Sundays you're at the pulpit as a guest speaker in various churches talking about bringing the gospel to the public square and mm-hmm. making sure that we have godly leaders within the United States and things like that. I mean, you're not giving the courts anything to work with, even if they're inclined to find in your favor. Yeah, I like the idea of there should be a smell test required before the government can endorse and Baphomet acting as that sort of smell test. Yeah, yeah. well, it doesn't even have to be Baphomet. Like I said, I think it's simple enough that, you know, if, if there's no compelling st- state interest and you can reasonably expect these kinds of constitutional claims, I, I really don't think... Uh, I really don't think lawmakers should get away with, with pushing that kind of agenda then. Yeah. Jace, did you have some? Um, I was just honestly wondering if like some Hindu church wanted to put a statue of Ganesh, whether they would have fought back against it as virulently. Like, you know, it's I think that's uh, on one hand, it's like I, I sort of 
I think that's sort of almost like sort of attacking it from two angles. If you could, <laughs> it would be fun to see if you could like partner with some genuine church that wanted to put like, I don't know, Buddha statue or something. Well, interestingly, there was a Hindu church uh, that made its presence known during the Oklahoma thing. And they might have sent a letter during Arkansas as well. But their problem is they, they didn't follow up and it appears that they didn't intend to. It, it seems like they they took the tactic of writing the letter and, and thinking that that would be enough. And it's not. In, in Oklahoma, they were ignored like we were. But uh, the, the fact that they had put in the request generated interest, support, and uh, in media attention as well. Um, the next time they came around, I think people were aware that they hadn't followed through before. There wasn't a monument to show for this. Or it was overshadowed by the fact that we clearly could be counted on to, to show up and, and see it through because everybody knows we have our monument and it's on the move and we're, we're, ready, to, we're ready to plant it on the Capitol grounds. I think that's one of the big advantages of being um, the Church of Satan or the Satanic Temple rather than some other religion is that a lot of Christians just find it inherently offensive. And so they're going to push back in a way that they wouldn't against like Hindus. And like, I, it would have been really awkward though, watching them try to push back against a genuine church. Like I I just, I'm like really curious about the counterfactual or like the, you know, alternate universe where there's, Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll put our Buddha here and we'll have Ganesh over here. And then we can have uh, some Islamic thing over here to like, uh, wait, I, I think uh, well, yeah, here's, here's some news for you, though. We we are a genuine church. We're re- yeah. we're federally recognized. We are IRS yeah, exempt. We uh, you know, we we tick all the boxes. And uh, when we took a case to uh, the court in in Scottsdale, um, uh, we were arguing about uh, city council meeting prayers in. Uh, in Scottsdale, we had offered to give an invocation before a city council meeting where usually they open up with a Christian prayer and they they wouldn't let us do it. They, they rescinded the offer. You know, we, we had put in to, to do it and, and they signed off on it because that's what they're supposed to do, you know, and they're not supposed to uh, evaluate whether they want a certain religious group or not. They open that door. Right. And instead, uh you know, the city council got all pissed off. They rescinded the offer to have us have us give the invocation. And it was very clearly based on religious animus. So we t- we we pursued this lawsuit. We took it to trial in uh, in Scottsdale in Scottsdale was trying to argue the entire time, even though we recognized by the IRS as a as a church tax exempt. Uh, Scottsdale was trying to argue that we're not, you know, that uh, that this is something other than a religious organ or what, whatever it was. So they, they, just that we we didn't deserve to be called a an actual religion or church, and therefore our claim of religious discrimination had no merit. And uh, the court found in our favor then too, and said, you know, they they very clearly are an actual religion by legal standards. But the court also went on to say that we hadn't uh, sufficiently proven that it was religious animus that drove the decision to rescind our invitation to give the invocation at Scottsdale and, and that we had some, some 
this a was greater like, burden of proof to meet that it wasn't just some kind of um, administrate administrative uh, decision based on, on I don't know it was a really bad decision in any case in that part and we're appealing it um, but even in that case they 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 didn't care to hear arguments that were not a legitimate religion. Yeah, I think that is some extreme bullshit. Like, <laughs> I, I, I personally, per, in my feeling, like, say, uh, Satanism feels like a real religion, like genuine or whatever. But I also think that the 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 religious animus is kind of the whole point, right? Like, the you are being discriminated against because of religious animus. And the thing is, like, they don't have that animus for things like Hinduism or Buddhism. And so they don't get, like... There are people that have been genuinely harmed by Christianity and that seeing those 10 commandments or having a Christian prayer forced on you before a Senate uh, meeting, like is infuriating. And I wouldn't say like harmful because that's a bullshit term, but it's, it's infuriating and it's damaging to democracy and it divides the population. And I think like letting them see that from the other side, like what's it like when a religion that you have great distaste for is pushed by the government? Oh, this is a bad thing. We shouldn't do it in a democracy is uh, it's an important message in my opinion to, to get through to people. And so like, I think you're doing great work in, in helping people see that and helping to keep the separation of church and state strong by showing people why it's important to keep them separate. Well, I, I think it is uh, it, from the perspective of the public understanding of what it means to live in a pluralistic democracy, it is harmful for them to be putting forward their religious message to the exclusion of other religious messages. And you can see that harm, what that what harm has been done in the mainstream reactions to what the Satanic Temple does. When people are outraged and say that it's ludicrous that we should expect to have the right to do the things we're doing when we're just asking for equal access, it shows that people have lost all sense of what religious liberty means, of what the Constitution is, and, and, and those, those kind of guiding ethics of, of pluralism and, and democratic ideals. It shows that people really feel that we're a Christian nation and that they do have some kind of exclusive licensing over the, the public domain. And, and that, I think is, that I think is dangerous. And I think that's, that's contributed in part to some of the worst elements we've seen of the past four years, you know, up to and including this siege of the Capitol, which was in no small part in, in, in effort of theocratic militants. Stephen, you had something? Um. I, well, it goes back a bit, but uh, like the idea of having this this bulwark to raise up as a a legal and um, symbolic, ide- a symbolic and ideological, yeah, counterpoint to you know the let's raise up our our th- this one religion, let's put this one above in in whatever context, whether it's uh, you know after school programs or public monuments or whatever. It sort of brings to mind the uh, the 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 flying spaghetti monster, <laughs> which was that might have come out right around when I was in high school. It's hard, I can't quite remember, but the 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 Satanic Temple is you said 2013, 2014 was when it was getting off the ground. Yes, correct. So in in the last I guess half decade or so has have has there been a move to like I mean I don't know any high schoolers is this is this the kind of thing that is as 
uh, as, is this known um, about like as well as I have no idea how popular the flying spaghetti monster was either, but at least oh, I've, I, I've, I still I've seen, see it on car like bumper stickers. Yeah, so. I see bumper stickers. I, I wasn't the only kid in my school with the book. Um, <laughs> is there, I know that you guys do some, some community outreach, especially with kids. Is this, uh, being brought up like more and more now, or do you have any feedback on from, from current young people? Uh, the, when I s- first started speaking to undergrads, I was like anytime I was first doing public lectures or whatever, I expected a lot of pushback in a lot of people to just think of Satanism in terms of what they learned during the satanic panic. You know, this idea that there's infant sacrifice and blood orgies and that kind of thing. And uh, what I found from the undergraduate crowd is that they would hear what I was saying and they would assimilate that and they would think and they would just respond like, okay, now I know something about this. It sounds great. You know, they, they didn't have, I don't think, a lot of them that background understanding of the satanic panic. They didn't have right. generally those those prejudices about what Satanism is supposed to be in their minds. So they're hearing a Satanist speak for the first time. So they were just saying, oh, okay, that sounds great. That's what this is about. Sign me up. And I was, I was, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I was kind of shocked by that. You know, people, the, the people who would just, uh, who would just understand what we were on our own terms and be willing to accept that. That, that 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 was an initial shock for me and, and i think uh uh you know in that crowd also we didn't have a whole lot of people saying oh okay i get the joke which is sometimes something we get too you know people coming to us and saying like hey i get it this is hilarious because i think that misses the mark too you know we we, we genuinely view this as as uh you know, a non-theistic religion and people, you know, our membership of ours really identify with this. And it's not like once they get away from the, the cameras or the public or something, they, they take off their horns and say, oh, okay, now I can back, get back to who I really am or something like that, you know? And I feel like uh, the flying spaghetti monster in people's minds, you know, has that element to it where it's like, okay, obviously these things are being done all in satire or whatever. And not to say that that doesn't develop into a real genuine community and that the values they're advocating for aren't things that they're advocating for because they genuinely believe in those values. Just the symbolic structure and things like that genuinely do seem arbitrary, you know, and in that way it's different. And I do think uh, the Flying Spaghetti Monster did have some legal rulings against their authenticity <laughs> if i remember correctly that rings a bell i i you know i don't remember any real value judgments or or uh proposals that they made i just remember it being the uh you know anti-intelligent design in the biology classroom argument um if they had a a moral thesis i mean like your guys' seven commandments are are tight and like that th- those are those are rules to live by I, if the the flying spaghetti monster uh monsterism or church of the flying spaghetti monster whatever if they had any value statements like that they didn't hit my radar um but yeah like the uh i know you had a couple things on some of the the um the seven commandments so i'll let you jump in Yash, if you felt like it but i just i like all of them i mean this this is you know there's 
I don't, I don't want to, we can't just read them, but anyone can go to the, the satanic temple.com and check them out. But um, I mean, rule number one, if I and like, I'll, then I'll make my, I won't, I won't let myself read all of them. But I mean, if, if I was writing a list of rules for guiding humans uh, through, uh, you know, giving them a good moral foundation, you know, I think that the first one makes perfect sense. One should, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Like that, if I could give one moral virtue to humanity, that, that sounds like it in a nutshell, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's to explore the philosophy of the seven tenets deeper. It's, it's interesting to, to look around and see some of the uh, commentary about them. Recently, there was a Catholic podcast that went through finding faults with, uh, <laughs> with the seven tenets in, uh, it, and I think they were doing that, you know, trying to find like the hidden meaning, you know, and, and in, a, in a lot of ways they were, they were fairly fair, you know, um, but still there's this notion that there's something deeper behind this here in that, uh, you know, so a certain reading of one or the other gives you license to, uh, commit the worst kind of acts possible. And you, you really kind of have to stretch to find that meaning. But yeah, we you don't really have... got to squint at the first one, you know, oh, in accordance with reason, you mean an exclusion to love? That's bullshit, man. <laughs> and I, and I, I meant, I, I got to apologize for something. I said seven commandments. These are different. These are seven tenants and tenants are, are not, should not be considered being commanded to do something. This is the, I find it hilarious that, a Catholic would go on like they have the Ten Commandments. Like, <laughs> what better example of pull the rafter out of your own eye before you go after the speck in someone else's? Do you need? Well, it's it's funny because in some ways they're not dishonest. They'll they'll openly talk about the uh, how the lack of subservience in in these tenets is indicative of a lack of moral foundation because to their minds you have to be subservient to a divine power which acts as the ultimate moral authority or mm. else you're just floating free from any ethical framework and you're going to run out in in rape and murder with mindless abandon unless you have uh, some punishing supernatural entity to tell you otherwise yeah make their own choices <laughs> develop their own ethical frameworks i want to well in a second in, a, in just a moment i want to pivot to uh, a next thing but before that um I kind of get the impression that like doing all this, you sort of have to play like the bad guys in the public eye, but it also kind of feels that with the name like Satanism, that's sort of your jam. Is this like, is this as fun and fulfilling as it looks? Cause I think I would be having a blast if I was doing that, but I don't know. <laughs> I wanted your opinion. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it feels really good. It's, it's great. You know, especially when you feel like, like with anything, it feels like you're making progress or whatever. But other times it's been really, uh, really stressful and really a nightmare. And in some ways, it's unnecessary what a, what a nightmare it's been. It's just part of my character that, you know, especially early on, I had no interest being on TV, having articles written, being an interview subject, that kind of thing. I'm a pretty private person and pretty introverted by nature as well. So that whole part of it was a really hard adjustment for me. And then when you when you're just controversial, right? I, I had a real uh I, I had a, a a real background in 
investigating the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. So I was well aware of how accusations of Satanism leveled against people who had nothing to do with Satanism nonetheless ruin those people's lives. So it felt like suicide to publicly be a face of Satanism. You know, it felt like any moment now, the bizarre accusations are going to roll in. Somebody's going to try to find me and shoot me and stuff like that. And that's never quite gone away either. <laughs> but, uh, but otherwise, I feel like in a lot of ways, this has kind of played out to the best case scenario. You know, it, it would have been hard to imagine uh, back in 2013, that now we would have some like quarter of a million members in this kind of general recognition that we have, and that CNN would have done a 45-minute documentary that fairly presented us, and that a Sundance documentary that did well in 2019 would would uh, you know accurately portray the Satanic Temple as well. That's all. That's all very good stuff. Where where can we see that documentary, Hail Satan? Damn, you know, at this point, I'm not sure. I, th- I think it's still on Hulu, um, but it's also available for rent or purchase on YouTube and other streaming sites. It's uh, it's distributed by Magnolia Films, and I'm I'm hoping we get it on uh, TST TV. We have our own streaming platform, also. I encourage you <laughs> to check that out. That's awesome. All I know what I'm watching tonight. <laughs> so the next thing that I wanted to move to was um, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that I am like on the extreme far fringe of pro-choice um, beyond most people. And so this was something that like was of intense interest to me. Uh, you recently, I think last year, introduced a satanic, uh, rich, a satanic abortion ritual uh, in order to hopefully um help circumvent some of the really restrictive state laws on getting abortions uh i believe that what was it uh, this is based on the supreme court's hobby lobby decision that affirms an individual's right to object to laws that violate their religious beliefs and uh the the fact that the third of the seven tenants states that one's body is inviolable and subject to one's will alone uh could you briefly explain the uh ritual and what what this entails what it is yeah, sure. Uh, first and foremost, the ritual was meant to uh, give a type of emotional support to somebody seeking to terminate their pregnancy. And to that end, we put together a formal ritual, which involves reciting the relevant tenets and going over things with a uh, with another participant uh, who's taking the ministerial role of putting the, the pregnant person through this kind of counseling session and uh, affirming that this was done with, you know, the individual's best scientific understanding and, uh, and in no way contradictory to our tenets and uh, reaffirming that the, the body is inviolable subject to one's own will alone. And, you know, our perspective that the, the fetus, the non-viable fetus is, is a part of the woman. It's her choice to do as she will. And part of that uh, ritual um, is having the procedure done itself. Of course, the people performing the procedure uh, aren't asked to change any of their behavior, recite any lines that, uh, that coincide with, with the ritual. It's just part of the process of 
the person who's terminating their pregnancy, who's a member of the satanic temple. And then there is a kind of exit counseling session after the procedure is done. But because the process of uh, terminating the fetus is part of the ritual itself, it would be a violation of our religious liberty to ask us to have any uh, any roadblocks placed uh, between the ritual being carried out as it's supposed to be by our standards and and uh, and, and, and getting it done. The uh, uh, that's that's really the the core of the argument, right? We, yeah. they, they can't tell us that we have to wait, you know, seventy two hours or, or whatever else. Any of these. Any of these weasel restrictions they keep trying to to force in uh, to make it more prohibitive to be able to get uh, an abortion done. Um, we feel like we have a, a really good legal argument here, and we're we're willing to pursue that. Of course, I I also see that again model legislation being put forth by uh, by pawns to uh, outside theocratic organizations. They're doing the uh, the burial bills. They passed it in Ohio recently, where they're saying that a fetus must be given a proper burial. And uh, these are this adds uh, another prohibitive expense to getting the abortion done. And and that's the point. You know, they they want to make it really difficult for an abortion to happen. They they want to prevent as many abortions as they can from happening. And to that end, they're doing things like insisting that a fetus be uh, be be buried. Um, be given a proper burial and that I, I think in, in Ohio, at least it says that if, uh, if the person who terminated the pregnancy isn't willing to pay for the proper burial, then the facility that performed the action needs to be willing to do that. And I feel like we have a very strong legal argument here as a religion also, because it, I hard pressed to find a time where burial rights didn't fall in with the purview of religious belief perspective and in, in, in need and you know to our end on our end you know being made to acknowledge this christian viewpoint that the fetus is a unique individual human life one that one deserving a proper burial rather than being disposed of as biological waste uh, i feel like that's a real intrusion into our into our own religious rights. And I feel like that's a very strong lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah. Is, is there even, is there a law that an adult needs to have a proper burial? Like, where is this coming from? Yeah, I, I don't, that, that is a, that is a good yes. question. Oh. I, I haven't looked at that, but I would think that if you were, you know, if uh, your grandfather died or something, and the family was to say, can you just dispose of them as you would dispose of any other biohazardous waste that they would shovel them into a cream, you know, a crematorium, right? I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it does seem like they're, they're, making, uh, they're making standards up <laughs> just, just I, to uh, fight this abortion battle. I don't, I don't, I only have like a cursory understanding of the Hobby Lobby decision. And I know you're not a lawyer, but do you, do you know, like how that, um, interacts here well the the hobby lobby ruling uh did did us some good um when it came to these arguments because 
previously we felt like uh you know we we could be going through some very expensive litigation that came down to uh the court's understanding of of science and, and that 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 would mean that we would need to f- play this game in which we had to have dueling expert witnesses which would get very costly and in the case of hobby lobby they did a couple things for one thing the the court essentially uh abdicated any uh any reasoning on which they would adjud- in which they would adjudge the authenticity of a religious claim you know i mean it's it's very questionable that a corporate entity can say that they hold religious beliefs you know in in that the the that the uh, and that they, how they treat their employees who might not mind subscribe to those beliefs need to somehow uh, fall in line with that but the 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 key thing that hobby lobby did was that it said that hobby lobby's claim that certain drugs certain contraceptive drugs that were not abortifacients in fact were abortifacients because they believed them to be abortifacients oh was just was a matter of belief in, in that uh they, they were free to believe that and act upon those beliefs and the court wasn't going to wasn't going to question that so science didn't matter so even while we feel we have science on our side it's a relief to know that we don't even have to fight that battle at all, but can walk in and say it's a matter of belief on our part, and that's the end of the story. Hmm. So I I was following um, the uh, satanic abortion ritual because I'm really interested in that, and it seems like the courts in general are treating this one different. Like the uh, the other two cases, Scottsdale and the Baphomet stuff, and the um, the uh, memorial for the the uh, war dead those were all like seemed to have good legal standing like people argued over it and and the abortion ritual seems to have been more or less just denied out of hand like a lot of courts wouldn't even uh, look at it the supreme court turned it down i was wondering it almost seems something you said earlier struck me that uh that the state doesn't have any compelling interest to uh to promote one religion over another and I think maybe this is being treated differently because a lot of people do feel that the state has a compelling interest in regulating abortion, even outside of a religious context. But I don't know. That's just kind of like my gut feeling. Do you do you have any idea as to why this seems to be being treated differently than the other uh, movements? Yeah, but first let me say, we haven't litigated the, the abortion ritual. Um, what we were litigating previously was in Missouri they had a 72-hour waiting period um, f- before somebody could get an abortion that uh, required that the person wanting to get an abortion would go into the clinic, receive materials that state that, uh, they, that uh, they understand that the act of getting an abortion is going to kill a unique I- individual human life. And so somebody's supposed to get these materials and then ponder them for like 72 hours before uh before going back and getting this this done and in missouri there was like one clinic and sometimes people would travel like upward of six hours to get there you know have to miss work pay for the travel get lodging or whatever so that 72 hours was not was not a small burden 
um, in, in certain cases. And, you know, it turns out a lot of people getting abortions already have kids. You know, I, I think that's something a lot of the conservatives don't understand is people generally aren't just using it as as birth control, as they like to think. Um, so, th- so there's a lot of factors here that made the 72 hours a, a really prohibitive weasel bill against abortion. So we put together an exemption form for members of the Satanic Temple seeking an abortion, saying that, you know, because these, this statement and these materials regarding an individual and unique human life contradicts our own religious viewpoint that the the non-viable fetus is tissue and that it's up to the person who is pregnant to decide the the, the meaning of this tissue and whether they're going to bring it to uh to term or whether it's you know whether it's going to be whether it's going to be expunged that's that that's up to the person carrying it that's our our religious viewpoint to try to push another one by state mandate upon us is just unconscionable so we took that to the court and through the first round of the court hearings, the dickhead judge waited over nine months and then said, because she can't be pregnant anymore, this is a moot case, so I'm dismissing it. Oh, uh, okay. God. So, I mean, that, that, that's the level of assholeism we're dealing with here. And I feel like and, and there's really no recourse. You know, I mean, there should be some process by which a judge gets pulled off the bench for something like that. And then... Uh, all the way down the line, we had judges misruling on technicalities, and it never got to the point in all of this. You know, like, like you said, we took it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court didn't take the case. We never got a judge to rule upon the actual merits of our legal claim. It was uh-huh. all quibbling over technicalities, and it was all, for the most part, radically off base quibbling over technicalities like we can't say like ah, if only our lawyer had done a little better no they were really stretching and as to the reason they're doing this it's because we're satanists and that's the really uncomfortable part here you know justice is supposed to be blind but we know fucking well if it were any other religious group putting up with this kind of uh open blatant religious discrimination the case would be treated a whole lot differently. Okay. It just, I mean, what comes to mind is like, you know, if you're a Muslim and you want to pray uh, during work hours, you know, I think it's the five times a day towards Mecca, like your employer is required to allocate you that time, right? Like, and that, that seems super straightforward. And if they were to say, you know, no, wait till your lunch break, wait till after work, they get in trouble for that shit. Like I, man, I, I don't get, angry that often but that judge waiting nine months and saying oh you know what moot point dismissed like man that 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 grinds my gears <laughs> yeah, There's a lot of yeah it's, it's even worse than that too because you know the the courts have found before that uh that if something is uh i forget the terminology they they use i believe it's capable of repetition yet evading review and that's not something the courts are supposed to do they're not supposed to take something in isolation and say, well, because in this instance she can't be pregnant anymore, it's a moot case. She's capable of repetition of this. They should review the case. And it's like you, you would have uh, you'd be amazed to know how astonishingly high our legal bills were just to get to that point, just to get a non sequitur ruling 
from a judge who decided he didn't want to hear the case. So this is this this was the response we were going to get, and, and it's 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 disturbing that there, that you know that we're in a we're in a position now where we have judges willing to do that more, I think, than they were in previous times, and that's be and that's an, an outgrowth of the incompetent presidencies we've had in the past. We, you know, George W. Bush was, I thought, as bad as we were going to get. Uh, back at the time he was in office, we we never thought we could dive as low as Donald Trump, and Donald Trump put a lot of really stupid fucking judges on benches. Now and we're going to have to deal with that for a long time, and they don't even care about looking like they're following the law anymore, and that's the real dangerous part. You know, b- before there was some kind of decorum, you know, there was some kind of. Uh, there was some kind of compelling need in the minds of the judges, it seemed, to act like they understood the law and that they were going to abide by it. And I don't think we're going to have that kind of etiquette on the bench anymore. Well, I mean, even Bush had to play, pay lip service to the Constitution and to democracy. Yeah. And when Trump was able to wipe his ass with all that, of course, it, it, it changed the norms for the worse across the board. You had something, Chase? Um, I was going to reply to the abortion thing a while ago just like uh when i heard about like the abortion ritual i kind of thought that it was just a troll thing but when you actually described it as being largely this counseling and affirmation ritual that sounds amazing because like you mentioned uh the thing of like women getting abortions often already have children i mean women getting abortions have like sometimes they they are you know counseled that this is going to be a non-viable pregnancy at like, or like they're carrying an already dead fetus and like they've been forced to like carry it to term knowing that it's dead with that being a wanted child. Mm-hmm. And like, just that there's all these, you know, it's, and then, and then they make it like, okay. So imagine that there's like this couple, this is their first kid they've got. And then they're told that like this, this child's going to be born with an encephaly, like uh, what is it? Microencephaly or something and die within like three weeks. Like, and then, so they're, okay, like, do you carry this to term? <laughs> and having to make that decision, then having to walk into an abortion clinic that's being, like, protested with people with signs calling you horrible things, and then, like, requiring that you have the waiting period. There's other ones that require that you get an ultrasound and mm-hmm. look at it, mm-hmm. which, like, imagine if you've been raped. Oh, well, right. That was, the, well, that was one victory we got in Missouri. Um, before in Missouri, uh, it was... It seemed apparent that getting an ultrasound was required, a fetal ultrasound, uh, when during that 72-hour period. But uh, the state abdicated that immediately in oral arguments. And when, uh, when our lawyer brought up the, the requirement of the ultrasound, the state of Missouri right away chimed in and said that it's not a requirement, that it's voluntary. And it was like, wow, well, okay, so you gave that up. And, you know, the best we could do then is, propagandize the fact that it wasn't required and that, you know, if anybody felt it was, they should be, be quite aware of this precedent that was set. But we knew it would cause controversy, the idea of an abortion ritual, right? But it's also important that we recognize that there's a real effort to make people who are getting an abortion feel guilty about it and to feel yeah. ashamed of it. And, and they have this mandatory counseling in some places that's explicitly right, yeah. and just like guilting you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, again, right? I feel like a 13 year old has been raped or something. Like, God. <laughs> right. 
wanted to we wanted to address that and, and be very open to our, our membership that you know this is this is your decision and and it's not that we're glorifying abortion or pre- or preferencing it over live birth of course but we we're not going to think more or less of you for doing this and and you you made this decision and 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 that's 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 yours you know and and we accept that as a community and you can talk openly about it and nobody's going to give you any any guilt or shame and of course we got pushback from people who are like well imagine imagine what what they think the other side you know and they see you've got an abortion ritual and i get sick of that i mean fuck them and what they think you know it's like the more hysterical they get, the more we're supposed to concede and back down and not mention certain topics or whatever. And fuck that. It's it's well past that point where we should stop worrying about the feelings of these people who are crying that anything we do in our lives is an affront to their values somehow. Yeah. We have gone a little past the hour. I still wanted to pick your brain on some things. Are you okay staying longer with us or should we wrap this up? Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay, um, so this is going to be a slight gear switch. Did any of you guys want to say any more on this before we switched? Nah. Okay. okay. Uh, so I personally think it's a really good idea to protect one's rights and to use the tools available to protect them. And one of those tools is to be uh, a protected class, like a religion uh, in the eyes of the government. And for a long time, I felt like our personal little movement here, the rationalist group, I mean, we have sort of a ideology sort of a guiding ideology and ethos we have our own community we're building and that it's been my opinion maybe it would be good to look into like incorporating as a religion um so i was wondering like do you think getting recognition uh, religious recognition was an effective tool in defending your rights and um it is i i let's start with that uh well i i do see a disparity in how we're treated as opposed to how other religions are treated. But I mean, on the bright side, it's a disparity that people don't want to admit to and they don't want to know exists. So uh, you can assume that the more we push this and the more we expose it, you know, the, the more headway we'll make and in, in, in equaling out the, the playing field. But I think uh, a real mistake in atheist and secular communities has been to denigrate religion, uh, making it indistinguishable from supernaturalism. Because on a legal level, your values don't mean anything unless they're attached to a religion. Um, They're certainly not protected at all. And it's a weird kind of backwards notion that somebody's values are only meaningful or worthy of protection if they're not based upon any rational input whatsoever, but are based entirely upon uh, received wisdom and divine fiats. Or we, 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 we reject that notion entirely. Obviously, it's premise of what we do, and we've been very clear about how we don't endorse supernaturalism and we, uh, we value science as the arbiter of truth claims. Um, but, you know, Satanism also does have that kind of ceremonial aspect and people push back on that too they say well how can you have rituals and ceremonies without supernaturalism and it's very easy think of think of going to a wedding you know there's atheistic weddings funerals these types of things they're they're moments anchored in time 
they give you a memory to kind of uh, mark an important occasion, you know, or commemorate a new beginning or an end or whatever. It, it has some kind of emotional, psychological closure, closure or catharsis. You know, people people like that. And there's a, there's a real sense of community behind it. And I feel like you have that component, too, that really goes a long way into, you know, ticking the boxes that are required for having a religious organization. But uh, if you have your own affirmative values as well, um, I would think rationalist values that try to look at some empirical evidence are far more meaningful than any uh, any superstitious values that anybody might hold. And, and I really feel like, you know, if, uh, if if you look at this, you know, if you're considering this for the rationalist movement, I, I, I would encourage you not to look at it as, you know, trying to pull one over on the system, but considering maybe in which ways you really are a religion and, and why you should, uh, why you should assume that you're not, you know, and, and what are you yielding to superstitious organizations when you say that you're not and that they are? What makes them important and special and what gives their their values higher value than yours? I, I think uh, you start contextualizing it that way, you'll see what an outrage it is that, you know, that, that you have so many people claiming that only religions of superstition should have these legal avenues available to them for protection. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think that, I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm less allergic to the idea of religious incorporation than I once was. Like when you mentioned, you know, the ritual of a wedding for my wedding, my, my aunt was our, uh, officiant, officiant, and it was easiest in my state to officiate through some vague church and it could be anything, but we went with the church of the dude and, uh, like the idea that, I mean, it was doable without some sort of, of religious efficiency, but it was more hoops to jump through. And when you mentioned like it, it, it does really put a fine point on it when you can say, "Oh no, my 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 uh, my value is religious based." Then the then the system has to say, "Oh oh, sorry, okay, you bet." You know, like if you were going to be drafted into Vietnam, you could be a moral philosopher with a you know a PhD on on uh, nonviolence or non you know uh, aggression or something, and they would draft you anyway. But if your grandfather was a Quaker, you were just you could just say that and you'd be off the list. That blows my mind, and uh, that yeah. Right. I, I think it was in the UK where the Church of the Jedi was trying to get official re- recognition. And there there was a ruling that said something like uh, they, they weren't going to be recognized as a church because, you know, they were just entirely based on a work of fiction. Oh, the irony, you know, but I was considering, <laughs> I, but, but consider further, like, what would it take for the Church of the Jedi to be legitimate by those kinds of standards? We could assume that if a sect broke off from the Church of the Jedi and decided that George Lucas, you know, unbeknownst to George Lucas himself, was channeling a higher truth and, and essentially made a reenacted documentary of things that had actually happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it, it, that that this kind of message was beamed into his mind by some superior intelligence or by the force itself, Hmm. um, then I guess maybe they would be willing to consider that this was an actual religion when in actuality, you should just consider that those people are fucking insane. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always bothered me that values reached through any sort of legitimate rational process are not protected. You have to be a. It's almost like it feels to me like the governments felt held hostage by religions because people would get so irrationally angry about their religious beliefs that they would commit violence to protect them. And so that's why that got carved out. And I don't want to, you know, threaten any sort of violence because I hate that shit. But on the other hand, I think if their rights get to be protected, there's no reason that our values and rights shouldn't be protected as well. Well, in a really, uh, a really kind of disturbing uh, dysfunction here is that sexual orientation uh, or, uh, you know, transgenderism, the LGBTQIA plus community, none, none, of the, none of that falls within a protected class. Oh. Um, so you have on the one side this protected class uh, intentionally and constantly beating up on a on a non-protected class and trying to diminish their rights. You should see a uh, an interview I did with Tucker Tucker Carlson. It was the second one I did on his show, where he had me on to argue about a press release we had put out, where we were saying that uh, uh, in regards to the uh, to the bakeries refusing to make gay wedding cakes or whatever. We put out a press release pointing out that, you know, bakeries can turn down gay couples, but, you know, they religions are a protected class. So you can order always order uh, a, a really, uh, a really bombastic type of design for a satanic cake, <laughs> you know, and they'll, they'll have to make that for you. And of oh. course, that got uh, that idea got uh Tucker Carlson all hot and bothered that we were going to try to compel businesses to do things that they didn't want to do. So he had me on and I was arguing, okay, fine. You know, I don't want to make businesses do something they don't want to do either. So, you know, if you have the theocrat coming in uh, to a gay business, you know, they, they shouldn't, they should be denied service if the, if the proprietor wants to deny them service as well. You know, some some gay business owner should be able to say no Christians allowed, whatever, you know. Certainly so I, I was saying that, you know, if you really wanted an equal playing field here, we would either make uh, sexual orientation and identity a protected class or let's take away the protected class status for religions. Mm-hmm. And Tucker Carlson, again, second time, I was two for two with him, really. uh had no no comeback argument for that and just just melted down and fell to pieces and cut the interview <laughs> off. <laughs> Braver man than I to go argue with Tucker Carlson and I mean I I I I can keep my cool but I I think that I I have a limit that way I would I would quickly make a fool of myself engaging with him for more than 60 seconds tops. Uh I yeah, I there are links um on the uh I I was looking at the Wikipedia page for the satanic temple and at the bottom there's a, a link to um what is it the the lucian greaves archive or something oh yeah 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 so the, on the top of that was the tucker carlson interview and there's a transcript as well um and i, I haven't read the whole thing but uh yeah i mean it, it all i could say is major props to you <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was really gratifying because he likes to do that condescending arrogant laugh where you know he once he feels like he's backed somebody into a corner, he 
just laughs like a like a moronic idiot and assumes the whole world is laughing along with him. In my interviews, I was the one laughing and he was the one getting beat red and pounding his nice. fist on the table. And it's like, yeah. No one else Fuck you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so are there anything that you think someone who is contemplating making the jump to filing for religious status, anything that they should absolutely know beforehand? Things to watch out for? Whatever? I would say, I, I mean, people look at us and they feel like we played a really clever game. And that we've, uh, you know, kept on on message, but uh, but I think they still feel that we've just manufactured it that way. You know what I mean? That we were meeting very kind of specific goals, and that in certain ways this all still is a prank, and we've we've kind of massaged that message to fit the the need the legal needs. That's not the case, and I don't think you'll get very far if that is the case. You have to be exactly what you claim to be if you're going to do this and you're going to do it long term. You know, if you want to be a religion and you want this to be a religion to the membership, you know, that's what it's got to be. And you've got to be available to that and you've got to be able to to uh, to to maintain those congregations, that that kind of internal structure. You've got to be willing to see a community genuinely identify with that and not have a separate message, you know, in the background for membership that's different from the one that you're putting out forward publicly, or it's all going to become undone very soon. And if we were as disingenuous as, you know, a lot of people think we were, we would have never lasted outside, you know, the first six months. Okay. That is really good to know. I'm about out of questions. I, I, this was enlightening and awesome. I don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I think I had, I definitely had some misconceptions. I, I, having, not, having done very little primary research or pr- uh, preliminary research before this conversation, you know, I, I sort of got the vibe that this was a, a more sophisticated church, the flying spaghetti monster. And th- this is, this is so much more. It, it seems just awesome. And I don't know if this is an overdone joke, but you're doing the Lord's work. I mean, yeah. uh, like, the the just you know going going to the mat i mean you guys are 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 fighting legal battles that need to be fought and on the terrain that the the on the turf that has been set for you and you have to play by those rules it's like all right well then fine um i mean i i look forward to seeing the the progress and successes eventual successes i'm confident it'll work out with uh you know the the protection of one's uh guiding one's body as one wants and the abortion ritual um i It'll probably be, you know, it'll be, it'll still be a fight, but I, I can't imagine that that won't eventually work out. Well, I can't imagine. I hope it does. I hope it works out. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But it, it's been great being on and check in with me anytime. I'm happy to chat. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's, yeah, I uh, can't really say anything better than Steven has, but I also kind of came into this thinking that this was just like sophisticated trolling. And it's so much more than that. Yeah, this is great. Um, any upcoming projects that the Satanic Temple is working on or um, anything? Uh, yeah. I, I, en- I encourage everybody to check out Gray Faction. It's it's one of our lesser known campaigns, but we keep fighting back against people who propagate the Satanic Panic. And that's, you know, that's really grown in urgency now with the rise of QAnon and other conspiracist movements. But we're fighting back against people who propagate Satanic Panic within the 
mental health profession by using recovered memory therapies to come up with bizarre narratives of satanic ritual abuse, similar to recovered memory narratives of alien abduction and past lives. It's a whole other topic, but I, I really encourage people to check it out because I do think it's really important. Having been barred from playing D&D as a child because of the satanic panic, because I'm old enough that I was, <laughs> I, I have some memory of the 80s, like, holy crap, I can't believe that's actually come back through the QAnon stuff. Yeah. It's, it's nutty. I've written quite a bit about it on my Patreon, and I'll let people know my Patreon is open and available to the public, so you can read that material for free. So, you know, generally, it's good to just find me on Twitter at Lucian Greaves and see whatever I have pinned there. It's usually my, my latest Patreon post and, you know, find us on social media to find out what's going on. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely link to everything. Um, I don't have good and good, graceful ways to end conversations. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for coming on. This was great and enlightening. And I hope everyone uh, learned something and does check out your guys' website and checks out uh, the, the Patreon, the Twitter and everything and, and gets a good grasp on this. I feel like this is, uh, you know, really important work and keep fighting the good fight. This is great. Yeah. You guys rock. Yeah. Great. Thank you, thank so you. Much for, for coming on and for everything you do. <laughs> thank you. All right. We are back. Uh, this episode, we are going to be doing the less strong sequences after rather than before, just because that's how things worked out with Lucian. Uh, but before we even get to that, I have a bit of feedback from, I think two episodes ago. Okay. I will read it. Uh, this was concerning the uh, less strong sequence post where we were talking about the writing your bottom line. Um, when the salesman is trying to convince you that a box is a diamond or not. Okay. And you know, you don't know what his algorithm for presenting evidence to you is like, does he only tell you the stuff that's uh, pro diamond is in the box or is there, does he only tell you like, you know, points of evidence for seven and nine, regardless of what they are. Um, this was a piece of feedback that said, actually, you can still take his feedback into consideration to adjust your uh, beliefs on how likely the box is to contain the diamond. And it's, in theory, straightforward, uh, what he says, or what they say. I don't remember who exactly posted this. Damn it. I usually write down the name of the person who posted this. Anyways, uh, so he says that, or they say, God damn it. I'm going to have to edit this. <laughs> uh, they say that... Um, if you know the salesman is trying to uh, get you to believe there's a diamond in the box, then the evidence they give you is evidence of how strong the evidence that they have is. For example, if he tells you um, that it has a blue sticker on it uh, as evidence that there is a diamond in the box, that is evidence that he doesn't have any stronger evidence than that. So before you see what you know, what you know is going to be a filtered argument, you should consider how strong do I expect the argument they provide to be and then update on the difference between what you expect and what you see, assuming that they want to give only really strong arguments that you agree with. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm trying to think of like other, you know, uh, extraordinary claims that require extraordinary evidence. Like, well, I think one of the most common ones is like belief about God. That's what I was going to say. So like if someone said, oh yeah, you know, the universe is, is 10,000 years old and, and God made it. And you can tell because you can feel love. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you have no that that's that's your that's your evidence. Okay, great. So I, I can fairly dismiss your claim basically because that is not compelling whatsoever, right? Yeah. Um okay, yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I like that. Yeah. Uh I watched my parents get hard sold on like a timeshare. Mm. Did they fall for it? Yes. Aw. That was actually the funny thing. Uh I mean like 
good like sort of early lesson on making commitments <laughs> and then sticking to them or uh just like be wary generally i think was the main takeaway i got because i was what like eight or nine or something but like my parents were like oh we're gonna get this free vacation basically mm-hmm. and we just have to listen to these pitches from a timeshare and they were like but we're definitely not gonna take it mm-hmm. like we're just gonna go do this free vacation and i i remember like having to sit in the like was it hour or two hour long session of sales pitch where the salesman was just like this is going to you know improve your quality of life this is going to be so great uh there's no downsides and, and my, like just watching my parents kind of like oh, yeah oh okay like looking at each other being like huh hmm and there was this idea that you could it was in Orlando but you could trade the timeshare with other people that had the same timeshare uh so like if somebody had one in bali or something and like they're like hey do you want to come to orlando and we'll do bali that you could like orchestrate that trade but the person yeah they they didn't like ask for more details about that and it turned out like actually it was like just really not worth the amount of effort you would have to put in like you as the person it wasn't like the timeshare company helped facilitate those trades or anything it was like you would have to go find this other person and Hmm. I don't know. It just just seems like if they had a compelling reason, they would have to fall back on these weird ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's kind of what I'm, what I was trying to get at. Like, you know, this is going to improve your quality of life. Well, why? And it's like, well, you could, you know, trade this timeshare or you could like switch the time that you could come to the timeshare or like, just like things that sounded like if you're just sitting there nodding going, oh, that's cool. But like, if you think about, is this really like going to be, (laughs) I don't know, is this the strongest argument you have? Like it was a lot of money. My parents didn't have a lot of money and we never went to the timeshare either. Like we, that was the other funny thing was just, you know, they, they both ran their own businesses and they had kids and we had school and it was, we never actually like set aside the time to go take this free uh, quote unquote vacation thing that we had that we were just paying into. So that's a bummer. It's a bummer, but it was also sort of like, I remember being kid being like, why, why did you say yes? I thought you said you were going to say no. And they're like, well, you know, there was, there's some cool things in there. And I was like, Hmm. <laughs> I think the main thing that I learned is just don't talk to persuasive salespeople though. Yes. Yeah. They're master manipulators. I read the account of somebody who went to one of these and when they said no, cause they were pre-committed, like they brought them into like a separate room and like tried to explain how dumb they were for turning this down. And like they, it was not as straightforward as, you know, come to our two hour seminar, get free tickets to the show. Um, like they, they, they really dig it home. Yeah. I, the other like thing that I learned, not really from that, but like I had a couple of other experiences of people trying to hard sell me things and, or just like, I don't know, other like instances of people trying to like get something from you, like uh, a beggar that keeps following you. Mm. And if you actually engage with them, it makes it a lot harder. But if you just say, no, no, thank you. No, no, th- no. I said, no, no. Mm. Regardless of what they say, mm-hmm. they can't argue with that. Right. And if they say, why not? You just. You yeah, just keep like, going. But what about yes? Yeah. <laughs> That's like the best argument you can say against no. When I did the the same kind of thing where they tried to pitch me on a uh, on a timeshare, I actually just didn't go. <laughs> and they was like, here's your two-hour block. I was like, great. I'll see you there. And then I was like, I'm <laughs> at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Smart man. All right. Shall we get into the um, yeah, let's do it. sequence posts? Get into it. All right. Our first one. <clears throat> excuse me. Our first one is a rational argument. Uh, where Eliezer considers the question, how can I construct an impeccable rational argument that Mortimer Q. Snodgrass is the best candidate for mayor of Hadleyburg? 
Shout out for Mortimer Q. Snodgrass as a name. What a good name. <laughs> and the answer is it can't be done. You defeated yourself the instant you specified your argument's conclusion in advance. He then points out that uh, Snodgrass did really well on a questionnaire that uh, unfortunately never got published, but you have access to. Um, and you're thinking about, yeah, maybe I should publish this questionnaire because it pulled really well with people. And um, you crossed the line. Eliezer says you crossed the line at the point where you considered whether the questionnaire was favorable or unfavorable to your candidate before deciding whether to publish it. Wait, can I, I just, this is like an aside just to how much I love Eliezer's writing, but I love his uh, construction of these like examples. This year, the Hadleyburg Trumpet sent out a 16 item questionnaire to all mayoral candidates with questions like, can you paint all the colors of the wind? And did you inhale? <laughs> Alas, the trumpet's offices are destroyed by a meteorite before publication. <laughs> it's just... Do you, oh, what was so the one that he, he did badly on one of the questions? Do you remember which one? I think it was a uh, question 11. Are you now or have you ever been a supervillain? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Couldn't uh, answer that one with a straight face, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Elias says, put yourself in the shoes of a voter still trying to select a candidate. Why would you censor useful information? You wouldn't if you were genuinely curious, if you were flowing forward from the evidence rather than flowing backwards from a fixed candidate. Yeah. It's... This is a just a good illustration, I think, with examples of what it's like to reason from the bottom line. Yeah, and I think it's it's indispensable, and it's hard not to do this. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is also confirmation bias. This is everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, knowing how to filter evidence that you're getting from other people, like we were talking about with the timeshare and stuff. Um, like the person selling you the timeshare isn't going to tell you all the reasons you shouldn't get a timeshare, right? Yeah. So you need to do that research on your own because you want to know, should I get a timeshare? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a good deal, but you're not going to hear that from, you're not going to know whether yeah. or not it's a good deal from the salesperson. I want to hear like, what are the downsides? Like they're like, Oh, you can, you know, you can trade with anybody all over the world. And you're like, okay, is that easy? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. So, uh, and here he says, a logical arguments, one that follows from its premises. Thus the following arguments, illogical. All rectangles are quadrilaterals. All squares are quadrilaterals. Therefore, all squares are rectangles. This syllogism is not rescued from illogic by the truth of its premises or even the truth of its conclusion. So that's a really good, yeah. Yeah, he said maybe. Demonstration of this principle here. <laughs> yeah, maybe all squares are rectangles, but if so, it's not because they are both quadrilaterals. <laughs> so always refuse to accept logical deductions. Yeah. He also, um, there's just like, it was just a, a line from here where he says, also, sloppiness is habit forming. Mm -hmm. where I sort of just wanted to pull that one out where it's like. Just you don't accept bad arguments, even for positions you yeah. like. Well, I was also just thinking of, um, I've had the most success with like, I'm thinking again about like failing to be hard sold or to give somebody 20 bucks or whatever on the street when I you know, I, I was just tired and forgot to like use the principles of, okay, like, you know, <laughs> I'm getting into this kind of situation now. I need to pre-commit to saying no, <laughs> mm. I, or I need to not get into the arguments. I need to not, you know, it, it's, it's hard. Um, yeah. But it is also sort of important to remember, okay, sloppiness is habit forming. So the more you like, uh, let your guard down yeah. or you, yeah. And this, this was, you know, both, this is pretty relevant considering the election we just had. Yeah. That there were lots of reasons, you know, people gave to vote for Biden, but ultimately, I think the main reason was he's not Trump, and really, you don't have to say anything else but that. He he ends he's not Trump, and he's not worse than Trump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to imagine a person who would have been worse than Trump, but that was sort of uh, earlier on in 
the interview where he was saying it was hard to imagine someone could be worse than George Bush. It was just like, yeah, yeah. don't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> we were so naive. I mean, over the last four years, I've looked back fondly on the Bush era and be like, man, those, those were simpler times. Remember when that was all we had to deal with? I mean, just incompetence. And you mentioned like, so one of the questionnaire items was, did you inhale? Mm-hmm. Like that was the, you know, the, the video from well Clinton and Obama both Obama ha- both had uh, videos from their college days of well I yes I held the joint but I didn't inhale or whatever well no I mean um, Clinton literally said that under oath yeah oh then I guess that's, I thought that's what, why the joke became I didn't inhale I thought that and then there's no way then Obama's you know, Obama was riffing on it yeah oh okay I think Obama's like I didn't inhale <laughs> oh, okay nice yeah there, there was a Key and Peele sketch about that too and it was funny but um. Yeah, apparently when when Clinton was running for president, it was still a big deal whether or not you had done marijuana as a kid. Yeah, can you, I? I just, I, I, as dumb as that was, I, lo- I yearn for those days when those were scandals and right. those those were you know front page headlines for a week. Yeah, I, you know, I'm 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 confident. And we're not talking about the the election and stuff, but I'm confident about the Biden era. I think that he seems competent. He seems like he's uh, a chill dude who will put together a successful cabinet. He's promoting. Uh, uh, like scientists to cabinet positions, um, people who are actually qualified to make decisions on, on climate change, for example, uh, being <laughs> the ones in charge of making those decisions yeah. sounds pretty cool to me. Um, and the, you know, the, the push for unity and, and all that granted it's going to be politicking and all this nonsense, but damn, that sounds relaxing. I haven't heard shit coming out of the white house in the last week. It's been great. Yeah. He's been president for four days and I, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am all confident. He's going to be so much better than Trump. Yep. I'll give you that. Yeah. My hopes are for just a boring few years. That would be nice. <laughs> of like stuff happening. I no longer want to live in interesting times. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. When you're talking about, I uh, remember when that made headlines. Or like I, I keep seeing this headline uh, this last week, and it's this clickbait headline. And it just says like these cocaine hippos have got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't. I, I I've resisted clicking. I was like, I can't. I can't click on that. I'm like. Just don't do it. No, I like. I don't. I don't even know why. Like, just. just I, uh, I don't, have you clicked on it? No. I okay. Don't, good. I not. All right. I don't, it's all I can see is from the sub headline that it's something to do with um, Colombia and cocaine, and I guess like they've got <laughs> smuggling their cocaine know. and hippos. The thing is that like the world makes no sense anymore, and like it's gonna be hard to come up with like clickbait headlines that surprise you. If I was a Colombian drug lord, having coked out hippos as part of my defensive line would be, I think, a, a not the worst strategy. Yeah. They're ferocious. They are. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. They. I, I think they sweat blood. <laughs> no, that's not true. They, they have pink sweat. Ah. But they. That's yeah. weird that they have pink sweat. Something to do with some enzyme. Uh, huh. Hey. <laughs> There's a thing at the end, near the end of the post, which I find interesting. He says, whatever actually decides your bottom line is the only thing you can honestly write on the lines above it, which absolutely true. Definitely something we should keep in mind as rationalists. But does this mean you cannot be an honest salesman? Because as a salesman, your bottom, what actually is your bottom line is if you buy this product, I will get some money. I think that huh. the, the way to shove that, that square peg into that circle, into that, I don't know, circular hole mm-hmm. is if you actually believe in the product you're selling. Yeah. Okay. If, if, and so like, granted you can't tell, well, I mean, that's a thing. Like uh, your mom was my realtor yeah. when I bought my house and she was straight up, you know, we bought a plate. We did not buy the most expensive place because she didn't push for that one. Mm. And she didn't really push for anything because she's dope. And anyone who wants to buy a place in the greater Denver area should contact Inyash. Mm-hmm. Um, but like she would come in and say, yeah, no, this, this is no good. This, this, 
this would need work. You guys don't want to, if you're going to make an offer, tell them to take off money for this. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, maybe she's not a a perfect case for like the the salesman, but if if she talked to to find like that, they're your representative, right? In theory. Yeah. Yeah. But in practice, not always at the end of the day, she doesn't get paid unless we buy something. Right. So like it was, it was in her personal self-interest to get us to buy a home and her, and her, and very selfish personal interest. One. Exactly. To, to get the most expensive one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like long-term, uh, I'm not, you could also argue long-term best interest is like to get a reputation as a realtor who is a genuine advocate for you, the buyer. Exactly. I recommended her to, to, to my friends who are buying homes in the area because she was great. Yeah. Um, and like if, if she shoehorned us into buying some shithole, I would tell them to avoid <laughs> her like the plague. Yeah. Um, I think that like if, if you believed in what you're selling, um, I think that I, I think you can get around that. Like, yes, your goal is to sell it, but if you if you believe you're helping them, it's like, yeah, yeah man, I actually have a solution to this problem you're presenting, and this is it. Every now and then, we do recommend things on the podcast, and that's we don't get paid for it. But even if we did get paid for it, I don't know. The only time I've ever recommended something on this podcast, anyway, is something that I really thought was awesome and that other people would get value out of. What was that? Uh, I mean, the most recent thing I can remember is when we talked about the video game slash, uh, um, what's the girl with the voice? Uh, <laughs> I guess Birch. that's literally all of them. Um, but no, uh, Billie Eilish. Oh, yeah. The girl with the voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we were, the, the singer? Yes. <laughs> we, we were the tr- human that can make noises with their throat. We, we were trying to think of like just positive things we've been doing lately. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, weren't, you, you weren't selling your own book, right? Right. Like, and d- when you do, you have solicited your stuff before. Because Speaking you of which, I have written a book everyone can buy. Yeah, <laughs> called What Lies Dreaming, available at whatliesdreaming.com. Yes, or uh, at Amazon. And the thing is, is like, you're pitching it because you actually think people have fun reading it. Right. Yes, you make a buck. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm going to hawk right now. This is the first time we've hung out together since the beginning of December, maybe earlier. You guys haven't seen the phone case, and I got to show it off today. Yeah. We have a merch line of phone cases. Even if you don't get ours, go to, what is it, redbubble.com or something? I yeah, think that's Red it. Bubble. Yeah. And pick, pick, a, stuff pick a pattern you like. The snap case, like the thin one, is like just, I don't know, a millimeter thick, and it, it is big enough to cover the screen. I'm selling this thing, whether you, whether it goes in our pocket or not. This this case is tight. Cool. If you like the picture, go for it. If you don't, get there's everything on there. There's, there's Marvel stuff. There's uh, like trippy dippy space stuff There's marvel stuff at redbubble yeah like fan art oh okay yeah well that's okay they're probably pushing the line but yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, that's marvel if they wanted to well disney i guess if they wanted to i guess could crack down on them but when they that would make yeah. get them some bad press yeah. yeah well i mean they they don't mind the bad press i remember there was the thing and i know we're far afield but they they gave they gave some some dad who was burying his dead son they wouldn't let him use a spider-man headstone Really? And like, oh no. You, and so, yes, bad press. They're, they're clearly not afraid of it. Um, and I, I think it was just, it was not just about like unlicensed use of our stuff. It's just like, we don't want gravestones of our things. And I get, so I get where they're coming from. I disagree with it. There's also a legal precedent. If you don't defend your copyright, uh, you lose your copyright. That's US law. So anything that got enough uh, newsworthiness that like a lot of people knew about it, they'd probably have to say something about that's wild like the fan art probably goes under the radar because there isn't anything in the news like oh you can get this phone case that someone made up you know drew their own picture of thor on but if it went into the news then they probably you know you have to pursue that or the u.s government says well obviously you don't care about your copyright now you don't have copyright on spider-man anymore it's a fucked up system that sounds insane yeah yeah love it all right so i can't think of a segue into we change our minds less often than we think Mm -hmm. um i think fact yeah i mean this yeah you you don't need a segue 
It's just <laughs> ne- okay. next post done. By the way, next, next post. post. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's I, not much. I mean, he, I think. Go ahead. Holly. Okay. He started with a quote from a store uh, study where uh, a number of people over a few years discreetly approached colleagues faced with the choice of different job offers and asked them to estimate the prob- probability that they will choose one job over the other. The average confidence in the predicted choice was 66%, but only one out of the 24 respondents chose the option which he uh, initially assigned a lower probability to, uh, yielding an overall accuracy rate of 96%, meaning that people were wildly underconfident in uh, how likely they were to choose their more attractive option, and that people, even when they only thought it was 60% likely, were much less likely to change their minds than they actually thought. What's cool about that is... And I guess I should keep this in mind because I've I've recently assigned a probability to whether or not I'll change jobs. Mm. Um, and I, I need more data before I can put a pin in it for sure. But if I say 85, it means 100 basically, yeah. right? Um, and that's that's a nice shortcut. Once, yeah. I, once I'm pretty sure I'm leaning this way, I can just stop thinking about it. Now, granted, you shouldn't. If it's important, you should like realize that you're making that error and like actually try and reassess, make sure you're weighing the cost and benefits and stuff. Yeah. But I guess I wouldn't, you know, you, you shouldn't kick yourself for saying, well, I was only 60% sure. It's like, yeah, but you were leaning that way. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple um, brands of appliances, which I've heard you just should avoid. And last time I went out shopping for an appliance, like I looked at them briefly, but then I thought, why am I even looking at them? I've heard I should avoid them. I, I'm not even going to bother. So that that's how I went forward, even though they were the cheaper ones. Smart. Yeah. He, he, Eliezer says, once I could guess what my answer would be, once I could assign a higher probability deciding one way than the other, then I had, in all probability, already decided. And realizing that can really save a lot of uh, time and stress in your life. I, I saw Robin Hansen once post something similar where he said, uh, whenever you are really, really torn between two decisions, it's often the case that they aren't very different. That's the reason you're torn. Like If huh. one was obviously superior than the other, you wouldn't be torn. You'd be like, I'm obviously going for the much better option. But if they're really close, then which one you go with doesn't make that much a difference because there isn't that much difference between them anyway. So don't stress about it so much. Yeah, that's a cool heuristic. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I think it's cool to see this formalized. Uh, I had just like this very weird epistemology as a kid. <laughs> I used to like write what I thought were these deep like truth things in my journals. I go back and laugh at them occasionally. Uh, but I do remember kind of starting from like really, I don't know, like black and white thinking as a kid where I was like kind of watching the behavior of people around me and trying to decide what I thought was good or ethical or whatever. And for a while I had this sense that you should be stubborn and stick to your, you know, like I noticed though that people respect people who stick to like their guns uh, or like make a choice and then defend it. And then I remember, I think I was in, well, I it's probably middle school. Um, we were doing like some fake debate thing. And I had been thinking before about like, I guess about like, well, but like, it actually seems like regardless of whether people respect you more, you might make a better decision if you're willing to change your mind about things. And it's obviously like if the other side makes a better argument, it, it makes you look stupid. If you just stand there going, well, yeah, but I, this one is the mm-hmm. one that I picked. So I remember, just like, playing with this in this debate uh, by like arguing my hardest for the one side and then halfway through getting up and then walking over to the other side and being like, you know what? I've changed my mind and I'm going to join this side. And I like <laughs> that. No one else did that. And it was just like, I don't know. The te- teachers were always like, they found me really weird <laughs> because a lot of this, like 
was stuff I'd been chewing on and writing in my journals and in my own head. And the actual behavioral outcome would be something that was like, what, why? I, I wouldn't talk to anybody about it. I was just like, haha, I did that. They're just like, uh, okay, you're weird. Writing stuff down <laughs> really helps you process it. Like, oh God, yeah. I've, I've come through many, I don't know, insights, decisions, whatever, by writing a blog post or just chatting with people on Discord. Just like getting it out in physical format helps. Sometimes I just write something up and I find that things have changed while I was writing it in my mind. And so I delete it, you know? Just having having your thoughts in your mind. No, no, no. Writing it like a blog post. Oh, you're saying the thing in your mind change. Okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The thing in my mind change, and then I delete the post. No, no. Like that's the thing. It doesn't work if you don't have it on on a paper or on a screen or something. You actually need to get it out there in words, which is interesting. Yeah, and at least for me, seen uh, interesting studies about. I I think it's more about like committing things to memory, but uh, I don't. I wonder if processing might. Uh, work that way as well but like manually writing things like Mm. on paper with a pen or pencil uh yeah at least yeah you retain it it better yeah it makes you retain it better uh i think there's something about mm, I, i gotta look into that again but i have noticed just uh i used to journal obsessively i do it less obsessively now but i still get a lot of value out of it in like an introspective sense um the i've I largely for a while just went away from paper because it's inconvenient. You know, if you have a laptop or a phone, you just have infinite paper sort of, and then there's the, you can backspace things and you can, but yeah, there's, um, they, they have a different feeling yeah. in a way that's hard to describe. And it is kind of interesting where I think I remember when I was journaling by hand in a notebook, there was something about the, like, I was much less, uh, but just because it's difficult or um, like a mild inconvenience to cross things out or erase things i didn't edit mm-hmm. uh i would write a thought and then like i would see my thought sort of like you were saying change as i was writing it rather mm-hmm. than but like if i was journaling and just like text edit uh i could write a thought be like eh, nah, and then delete it mm-hmm. but so like if i go back and reread my journals about i don't know like that that were in text edit they they sound more coherent but like there's you're recording less of your own thought process which is yeah. I don't know, just random thoughts. Yeah. I think one of the things that uh, interesting things that Eliezer comes to with this post is he says, you might think that you can arrive at a belief or a decision by non-rational means and then try to justify it. And if you found you couldn't justify it, you reject it. But we change our minds less often, much less often than we think. So kind of a, uh, you know, a... What is it when you tell someone to be a warning? There we go. Hmm. A, a warning, maybe not to do that kind of thing. Maybe not to make up your mind too fast. Well, not even not just make up your mind, but even arrive at a at a decision yeah. before you've uh, really looked into things. Like again, deciding to vote for Biden, I, I still think was probably the best thing for society because we got rid of Trump, which is great. But then trying to justify it and saying like, "Oh no, I have these other good rational reasons for it," I think was necessarily uh, necessary. Yeah, yeah. Not just necessary, but a thing that is it would be somewhat dishonest. If you're like, well, I'm actually voting for Biden because of all these other good reasons, and you, you, yeah, you don't need those, and those probably aren't entirely true. They wouldn't, they wouldn't end up changing your mind anyway. Yeah, you should have considered all that before you decided to vote for him if that was going to be the case. And I think that you know, it it's one of those things too. You know, you want people to be able to say, "I've changed my mind." I feel like this. You know, like you can't say, "Well, no, you're just you're just reasoning backwards now." Um, in every case, obviously, that's that's why this is an art that needs refinement and practice. Like otherwise, you're just you know throwing techniques around and and you know doing it wrong. Mm. But like you know, 
you don't have to have been campaigning for Biden since, you know, 2018 to say, I think I would have voted for him anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so you can update. And yet, like, if your honest reason is the, is the simple lame, lame sounding one, which is, I, I like him more than the current president. Like, Hey, you know, own it. That's fine. You don't have to like, I I don't feel like in this, in this case, you don't like, you don't have to defend yourself with better reasons. It's like, no, I have my reason. That's it. Like, is that the best reason that I would use in every case? Not necessarily, no. But it, it's is that simple here? Sure. Yeah. I think that's a similar reasoning for people who voted for Trump. That yeah. maybe they have, you know, they have justifications for why they they did it, they did it, but ultimately they decided before all those other justifications. Yeah, and then they, you know, I mean, there's and then yeah, they come up with things like, oh, but it's you know, keeping the parties balanced or you know, trying to undermine the strength of the federal regulations or whatever. Right. He's just joking or something. Yeah. And, you know, we're, this isn't the anti-Trump podcast, although we are all feeling that way. But I was just thinking I couldn't get this out of my head when, so I saw that Key and Peele sketch with Obama inhaling marijuana. Um, and like, that was the big thing, you know, eight years ago. Yeah. And it's like, no I'm one gave a that. shit. Oh God. Yeah. 12. 16? Fuck. We're old. In any case, uh, the like, oh, Obama. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like there's that video of uh, really Rudy Giuliani uh, dressing in drag and Trump motorboating his tits. What? And it's like, this, th- yeah. Did this happen IRL or was yeah, this? Yeah, this, this was a real thing. I, oh that they, they, they were doing some stupid thing in the 90s or whatever. Okay. But like this, this wasn't Obama, you know, this wasn't the did Obama inhale moment, right? Nobody mm-hmm. cared mm-hmm. because there was no such thing as I just, I needed to draw uh, uh, attention to that hypocrisy all right i gotta push past it otherwise i i can't uh be dissuaded from talking about it more yeah so i like the end of this post i'm sure you can think of at least one occasion in your life when you've changed your mind we all can how about occasions in your life when you didn't change your mind like that's obviously harder because we don't keep a list mm-hmm. of things that i still believe today that i believe yesterday mm-hmm. um but i like the uh in brackets that you put can each of us think of an occasion when we could have changed our minds but didn't yes. and if i had Oh, you're, are you going to... I was going to say, I wish I had time to think about it. So please, go ahead. The first thing that jumped into my mind was uh, the first time I did mushrooms. I I remember, uh, I think this was because I had read Gorn's post about doing LSD. Like he did, a, um, I think, a self-analysis or like N of one study that said of uh, whether or not like LSD microdosing had any positive cognitive effects like people claimed, but... He got it back when, um, what was it? Uh, what was that dark web? Uh, Silk Road. Yeah. He got it off Silk Road back when that he's like, so I got like two LSD units from Silk Road. Uh, one did it, one did do my experiments on and one to use for a, in scare quotes, trip, <laughs> which that was just adorable. And then like beforehand, he wrote a bunch of predictions and put percentages on them. Uh, and one of them was like the, he would become religious or like believe in supernatural things afterward. And then, so I sort of, and he, he did not actually, it sounded like the trip was pretty uneventful, or at least from his perspective. Uh, and I had never done any kind of psychedelic, uh, think think, yeah, I'd like smoke marijuana like once or twice. Uh, later I found that that can also be psychedelic, uh, but, or I had like had alcohol. And so I was, pretty on the i was like okay like there are a bunch of people who claim to have had these like spiritual you know like that was the thing that worried me is like that i would 
lose my, you know, beliefs in science and mm-hmm. <laughs> rationality after taking this thing because like, so, you know, some, there, there's quite a few people who do take psychedelics and then change religions or like say like, you know, they'd been an atheist before and they find religion and, or believe in aliens or something. So, but then, uh, yeah, I remember actually while being on mushrooms, I was like, oh my God, magic's real. Ah, like, <laughs> like, or like, not, not really that, but I sort of do remember having a few moments of, oh man, maybe magic is real hmm. like, because my my perception of reality was so distorted that I saw things that seemed to defy physics. And then once I like was sober again, I thought back over those experiences and then was like, Nope, that was drugs. <laughs> That's weird. And it was this relief where it was like, okay, you go back to normal afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. like you probably had, didn't have very like solid foundations for your beliefs to begin with. Maybe it's cause I'm on SSRIs or something, but I've, I've never, even while, you know, really high on acid, I've never had anything like that. Like I've, I've, uh, I've on more than one occasion like communed with God while on acid, but even <laughs> it sounds at like the, something like that. <laughs> well, but even at the time, I knew it wasn't really God. Okay. Like I was like, "I'm high. This is great. Hey, God!" <laughs> like I knew it was the drugs. Okay, that's because your mind is mighty. Mine, I get, I get Again, thrown. Might be the SSRIs. Yeah, little column A, little column B. Okay. I, I get thrown to the ringer. I, I haven't had any of those transcendent experiences where like I'm like they're internally um substantial and like significant but like i've never talked with something that wasn't in the room um, i didn't do talking well even in my head yeah like I mean, I, it was like a more of an understanding oh, right on than yeah any yeah. sort of verbal i had those like with with different parts of myself i think but you know it's i don't know that's describing drugs sounds insane people haven't tried it yeah, so i know um, and it's probably really boring probably uh yeah i, I can't think it was really interesting i want to like, before I tried any drugs, when people talked about it, I was like, there's no fucking way that anyone can experience anything like that. And yet, uh, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, uh, trying, I'm trying to think of a good example of when I failed to update sooner. And I'm sure that there's, I mean, I, 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 was, I know I was just thinking about this like earlier this week or last week, and I'm, I'm failing to pull stuff to mind. That's not because I've always been right. It's because I'm doing a poor job retrieving it. But maybe it was just because I'd already gone through the whole really, truly believing in the supernatural and God when I was a kid. And then rejected it. Yeah, maybe if you haven't had that, if, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, like a small example. Believe. Like, I should have believed this sooner. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say for my example of an occasion when I could have changed my mind but didn't. Uh, like two or three days ago, I ordered a new phone, and I kind of figured I was going to buy the cheapest one available for various reasons, which I've you know mentioned already. But I went online. I looked at some uh, looked at the phones that were available, and I clicked on one of the more expensive ones or just a step up, right? And uh, I thought real quickly about it. And then I was like, no, I'm going to go with the cheapest one. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's a recent occasion where I could have changed my mind, but I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm trying to think of the only, the only way that I'll know that this actually matters is if I could have changed my mind and didn't, and then subsequently changed it later. Okay. Like, cause I mean, I, I could have changed my mind. You know, I got, uh, was it not last night or the night before I got Qdoba? Like I could have gotten something else. Like <laughs> that, that's not interesting. Right. Well, like, I mean, I think that's part of what he's saying that a lot, most of the times when you change your mind where you don't change your mind, it's not interesting. It's yeah. just something you were going to do and you go ahead and do it. I'm trying to think of an interesting example where like, I should have been faster to pick this up and then got to it later in life. And I'm sure that there are examples, but I can't think of one. I have an example for myself. What, uh, it's gonna sound bad for rationalists, but, uh, well, <laughs> when I, um, it took me a long time after getting into rationality to update uh, in the direction or to um, change my beliefs that a brain could be emulated. Hmm. And that was from having just like read PZ Myers blog for so long and being like really coming into like my 
first and like main love in the scientific fields is biology. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I'd, I'd seen so many arguments to get against Ray Kurzweil's claims that were like, oh. that, that were, you know, um, the typical like sort of transhuman and futurist, like over excitement that was like in the next 50 years, we'll have mm-hmm. a perfectly emulated brain. And it was uh, a biologist saying like that there's, there was actually okay that the title of the post and we could probably find it was uh ray kurzweil doesn't understand the brain i still remember that cool and i remember reading all these things and being like these make perfect sense and then i when i went to my first rationalist meeting and people were talking about uh i think it was robin hansen talking about brain emulation i was just like oh that's bullshit and they were all like why would that be bullshit and i like i felt completely embarrassed because i was like this was an argument that like it was from like five years ago and I had just never re-examined it and updated on it. And it was based on not even the, the claim of, can you ever emulate a brain? Is it possible? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be possible like for humans to do maybe? Yeah. But like, no, it's, it is possible. And like, actually I've like updated much more towards it being a, a thing to, I mean, I really hope it <laughs> happens in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. like it's it, it assume you know, assuming we don't like, devolve into the middle ages because of various political things or destroy ourselves with nukes or whatever. It's going to happen. I think I really like PZ's blog too. I, one of the posts that like has most stuck with me with, which I think most people don't even remember is the one where he said why it's okay to eat chickens, (laughs) (laughs) justifying it from a biological standpoint. I was like, cool, I'm going to eat some chickens. And then I did. And, <laughs> and, you know, nowadays that is like the the almost taboo food for the, the EA side of the rationalist since that's the highest suffering two pound of meat ratio animal. <laughs> but I, I, I've heard both ways. And I know we're, we're, this is probably the least interesting part of the episode for people when we're not even talking about the posts. But so for me, I feel like chickens are the better choice to mm-hmm. eat because they can suffer less than cows. Granted, you eat more chickens per year than you could cows per year, but cows are also worse for the environment. Yeah. So I don't know which side of the fence to come down on. If you're going to pick between one or the other. I, I mean, I still fall back on um, which animal is the, the most conscious, most, you know, intelligent and chickens are really low on that scale. So that's why I'm okay with chickens. And I try well, that's, to, that's where I think that actually they're not as low on that scale as you probably think, but uh, they're lower than cows, but are they, are they literally like 2000 times lower or however many cows per chicken it takes to, you know, how many how many chickens are there per cow? Right. Um, it's not two thousand, but it's got to be on the order of hundreds, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the PZ article that I'm referencing was specifically one that said uh, that argued that chickens are basically little uh, meat production robots that have you know very little going on. I mean, <laughs> and if, I, if you, if he's you zoom not out a and chicken squint, biologist, but, so but if you zoom out and squint, so are people, right? Yeah, we're, we're just we're just vehicles for for genes. You, we're, you can do whatever you want to them. We're much better at defending ourselves from humans that want to eat us than chickens are. <laughs> All right, so this is insert segue. Um, avoiding your beliefs, real weak points. Yes, this might actually, if I were feeling more creative, I could have thought of something about you know this. This might be a weak point against you know someone who's just a, against. Um, eating animals entirely or something. Well, I, like, I realized that eating meat is one of my weak points, but I also am not in a position to not eat meat at all right now. So that's sort of where I'm at. Like I, I eat a lot less meat than I used to. And I buy as far as I can tell, ethically sourced eggs, um, like other than growing them or whatever, you, harvesting <laughs> them myself. Uh, I feel like I'm buying ethically sourced eggs. And so like, I, I feel like as this is, and I know that I'm, not even touching the post yet, but 
I, I don't like the, like, you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. I feel like you can be doing it better and or you can be doing it less wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if, if you're if you're doing better, then it's like, that's still that's still good. I think yeah. Scott Alexander made that great post about like, if you if you do vegan one day a week, you're still doing better than basically everybody. Yeah. And so like, you know, if you're if you're donating half of a percent of your income a year, you're still doing better than basically everybody. Like, sure. Could you could Is you half a percent enough to do better than basically everybody? Probably because well, almost almost everybody does nothing. You just aren't doing it. A lot of people do some little bits either around Christmas time or you know giving to their church, which I think should count as an anti. I don't. I don't. Ca- I, I, I don't count tithing. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I mean, uh, whatever it is, like it, you know, if if you <laughs> that cancels out a contribution, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, but I, I do feel like, and so half a with the number aside, like you don't have to be living, uh, you know, Will McCaskill style to right, be right. Do, to be living an ethical life. You can be you can still live very comfortably in a nice house and say, yeah, I still give 10% of my income to charity and I am able to buy a new car or something. Yeah. As like, long as you do better than average, the average will slowly creep up and the human race will keep getting better. Yeah. And that's not to say like, you know, give yourself a pass if you want to do better, but like, I guess don't beat yourself up for not doing perfect. Right. All right. Sorry. So avoiding your beliefs, real weak points. This is fun. Yes. Um, he, he uses it in the context of religious example at first and it, but you can use this everywhere. Um, like he he talked about when his what was it his great grandmother died or something, and his grand uncle attributed her uh um he attributed it to the to the the will of God mm-hmm. and that like he he says even as a kid it seems like I noticed that it violated the rules of self of religious self deception as I understood them and if I'd noticed my confusion I could have made a successful surprising prediction not long afterward my gr- grand uncle left the Jewish religion mm-hmm. um like the uh. I guess we can read more of the post before we talk about like other examples of it. But um, the you go ahead and summarize. I'm bad at it. Okay. Uh, in I guess in summary, it's that the uh, modern Orthodox Judaism encourages people to uh, be doubtful and inspect the scriptures and you know see where it conflicts with science, but only in places where they're going to win. Uh, that like, uh, I think the example he gives is that it wouldn't be surprising to hear a rabbi in his weekly sermon, point out the conflict between the seven days of creation and the 13.7 billion years since the big bang. Uh, but he has a, a clever explanation for it involving three other biblical references, a midrash and a half understood article in scientific American <laughs> in Orthodox Judaism. You're allowed to notice inconsistencies and contradictions, but only for the purposes of explaining them away. And whoever comes up with the most complicated explanation gets a prize. Uh, it doesn't have an emphasis on the virtues of blind faith. You are allowed to doubt. You're just not allowed to successfully doubt. I've heard people push back on that, that successfully doubting is supposed to be something that you're doing. But that's like, that's also... The Jesuits, the same thing where you're supposed yeah. to successfully doubt, but it's always to ultimately, you know, show how, how God is smarter than humans. Well, And just, just from like the mimetic survivability of that idea, it's like if, if, if one of the virtues of it was to disenchant or disenfranchise yourself of it the memes wouldn't survive right yeah Yeah, it's like its ultimate purpose is to show that my religion is stronger than doubt yeah i i mean the jehovah's witnesses had kind of a thing just not nearly to this extent it was like maybe baby modern orthodox judaism and and in a thousand years maybe they'll get to there but uh they also they would teach critical thought and debate in church every thursday one hour was devoted to that uh, for the purposes of destroying other people's religions and their religious beliefs to convert them to uh, Jehovah's Witnessism, and like the vast that sounds like such a bad idea for their for like right their own survivability. The crazy thing is, like the vast majority of witnesses like 
stayed in the religion anyway, but I like started using those tools on my own religion. I was like, hold up a minute. <laughs> Why doesn't this argument work against us as well? And uh, that that was part of the reason I left. They taught me how to critically think about religions. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm assuming that Thanks people who really internalize lessons. this, yeah, will, uh, I would I would hope that people that really internalize their lessons would leave the religion, but I guess either they don't internalize it or they're really good well, at know. doing the same There's thing here. There's a lot of secular Jews. Yes. Yes, there are. And there- the ones that are religious tend to be like smarter about it and for want of like better words there but like i don't know man like the the crazy orthodox ones well, that yeah you can no find i'm are... saying okay yeah i think i think that judaism is a hard example there because there's there's a huge cultural component to it that is is non yeah, yeah. That's i mean true. so we, we had a discussion there's with a very with, widespread of judaism yeah i mean we like we just talked with lucian about like does uh you know does a religion mean spirit you know anything spiritual or supernatural not necessarily right yeah, yeah. so like I think that when you say the Jewish religion, I think that there's there's definitely some equivocating there, and there's there's plenty of of room for Mott and Baileying. Um, like there's the John Stewart Jew who literally does not believe in the supernatural, and then there's like the Orthodox deep um, deep God, I don't know where New York exactly they are. Yeah, deep yeah. entrenched ones where like the women aren't allowed to speak to the men when they're in synagogue because that would be against God's law, and and just really some of the crazy stuff that the fanatics believe is nuts. You're like, wow. Okay. That's like, like any other crazy (laughs) hardcore religious person. So the, the, the trick here then is to attack your beliefs at their actual weak points. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is a painful exercise, right? Yeah. Um, if if, and, and it's, it becomes easier. Well, it's easier to practice on, on targets that you're not super attached to. You know, like I, I bet we could reason you and unstressfully into like why it might be worthwhile to buy a good phone rather than the, the next generation's shitty one. <laughs> right. But like, that's not something that you are really attached to. Right. Yeah. Um, so like the, those maybe practice on soft targets, but, um, like it, it shouldn't feel, uh, like a fun practice, you know, like, Oh great. I had this, you know, engaging internal or external dialogue with somebody about this in, engaging with my uh my doubt here it's actually scary yeah. um there, there's a real chance that you could you could lose something important you could feel like you're losing something important to you mm-hmm. he says uh people don't think about the real weak points for their beliefs for the same reason they don't touch a oven's red hot burners it's painful mm-hmm. to do better when you're doubting one of your most cherished beliefs close your eyes empty your mind grit your teeth and deliberately think about whatever hurts the most. <laughs> and it's, I remember doing this early. No, not early. I was like, like I don't know, like halfway through the amount of time I'd been into rationality and turned out on against feminism and like stopped self-identifying as a feminist. And that mm. sucked. Yeah. It still sucks. Yeah. But like. That was a big point of pride for me back in the day. Which. Being a feminist. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was. Yeah. I mean. I mean, it's one of those things like. That that's why I I dislike a lot of labels in the first place. Like I vote blue on everything, but I don't. I'm a registered independent, right? Mm-hmm. Like because if the blue starts saying some, something stupid, I don't have to fight my tribe on it. Yeah. So like it's, it's yeah. I just I avoid a lot of that by avoiding labels. Like I remember. Uh, well, I'm I don't I want to avoid more digressions on it. That's but the, like keep your identities small. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he says tenant. continuing on what you were saying about the thinking what hurts the most. He says don't rehearse standard objections whose standard counters make you feel better. Ask yourself what smart people who disagree would say to your first reply and your second reply. Whenever you catch yourself flinching away from an objection you fleetingly thought of, drag it out into the forefront of your mind. 
And I want to point out that um, the Rashless community is where the term steel manning first became a thing. And I think it was right around the time of this post uh, where he said things like, ask yourself what smart people who disagree with you would say to your reply. Um, and I think that's a wonderful thing that the rationalist community has brought to the world. And I also love the fact that nowadays, like it's been 13 years since this, it's a common term that I hear all over the place by people who, you know, some of them aren't even aware of what the rationalist movement is. Yeah. And like I hear it dropped in, in just random political podcasts now. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely common vernacular, which I like. And, you know, it's like, I don't think that the rationalist community invented steel manning. No. But what they did was attach a handy label to something that was easily identifiable. Yeah. You know, like there's a long practice in like philosophy or, or even science, you know. Uh, Principle of charity, I think they called it. Yeah. yeah. And where, where you engage what you think your enemy, your, your enemy, mm-hmm. your, your, your opponent would say, like um, in The Origin of Species, you know, Darwin argued with people that he that weren't in the room about, you might think this. Well, here's my response to your, your uh, my, my anticipation of your objection. Yeah. Like that's just called good thinking. Yeah. But, but when you put a good handle on the specific thing that, that they're doing there, and you can summarize it in a sentence, which is like, build up a strong version of the opponent's argument and then see if you can stand up to that. Yeah. Steel man. Opposite yeah. of straw man. Exactly. But, but so that's what I'm saying. There's, there's tons of value in being able to shorthand it. And uh, now it's uh, like you said, common vernacular. I was just thinking Martin Bailey seems kind of be similar thing. Like Martin Bailey is almost like a modified version of moving the goalposts, uh, which has been, you know, a thing that's been around for decades, at least. I don't know. Maybe the term is centuries old uh, in other languages, but a like, it seems to capture more nuance than just moving the goalposts. And I heard it just a couple of weeks ago on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, who I know they're familiar with the rationalist movement, but I'm not sure that they... Oh, I think atheists have been using Martin Bailey uh, since, you know, like a lot of atheism ended up being about like debating creationists and uh, finding logical fallacies. Yeah, to... but the term for it was always like moving goalposts or something or some other uh, fallacy. I, I think I remember the use of Martin Bailey. In, in I don't e- know. I could in, be wrong. In either case, the it most was recent time by I, Scott Alexander. Yeah, I think was you're it? right. Yeah, it, in it, a Slate Star Codex post a few years ago. Oh, uh, uh, okay. At the very least, my my the most recent time I read this was this morning. In the wise words of Inyash, context aside, it said that's the biggest Martin Bailey ratio I've seen since yeah. God is Love. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I, I appreciated the succinctness of delivering that point. Mott two Bailey ratio. Right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. I, this one ends, and I think that this also has its own page somewhere on Lesser Wrong for sure, but the, li- the Litany of Gendlin. Can we all say it at once? Gendlin. Uh, can we all say it at once? Let's, Would that be weird? Let's try. Three, ready? two, one. What is it's true is already, already this so. so weird. Nope, nope, can't <laughs> okay. do it. It's, it seems too cultish. <laughs> yep, I'm out. Yeah. All right, I'll, I kind of loved it, but whatever. I'm glad you're having fun, but I, I, I couldn't. All right. What is true is already so. Owning up to it doesn't make it worse. Not being open about it doesn't make it go away. Because it's true, and it's, it is what's there to be interacted with. Anything untrue isn't there to be lived. People can stand what is true, for they are already enduring it. Yes. First said by Gendlin. I don't. I didn't write down his first name here. But uh, <laughs> it's become one of those litanies in the community, similar to like uh, the litany against fear from Dune. I was yes. actually just going to yeah, bring up the litany against fear. I got to hear it. I didn't read Dune. Oh, um, oh. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will let it pass over me and through me. And when the fear is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Nice. Awesome. See, that's why I wanted to do that together. I feel like this is, 
Okay, so I don't know. I, I actually recite the litany against fear. Okay. Um, kind of the way like Catholics would recite Hail Marys. Uh, and then there's even like a thing of like praying the rosary where like it's this mantra. Yeah. I, I like just sort of the idea of having rationalist mantras like this where. I do too. And we have several of them, but the chanting them in unison thing was <laughs> too far. Yeah. For I, didn't, me. I, I didn't enjoy it, but I do. I do see the value. I mean, I think of the, the litany of Tarski frequently, you know, if I, if, it basically comes to mind with with without intention which is the whole point the 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 point of doing the i mean of of articulating and practicing rationality is that the that the techniques become flinch reactions right um you you want it to be like you know we we all have our our shitty heuristics that are easy to trick people into believing or or saying stupid things the idea is to build in grooves that catch those before you get there yeah like and martial arts exactly making, making something muscle memory yeah uh, krav maga style you know if i find myself scared of a thought i'm like nope hold on if it's true i want to believe it and if it's you know so like th- that's i i don't usually have to go through the rest of it but like i just cuz i i already know like hold on you just flinched away from that Let's let's pull that back in and say, look, is this true? If so, this is what you want to believe. Is Litany uh, of Tarski the one that uh, I want to believe snow is white, if and only if snow is white? Uh, yeah. Okay. Or insert whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay. I want to believe that uh, magic is going away from whatever. Yeah. yeah. Methods of rationality. Yeah. That magic is seeping out of the world, if and only if magic is seeping out of the world. Right. Yeah. I kind of like to reframe it as because there's something that's weird about saying that like, I want to believe this thing. If it's a bad thing. I mean, like I would say, I want to believe it because then I will, then I can point my efforts towards like doing something about it. Right. Yeah. But you have to believe that it's a problem before you can do something. Yeah. I just like adding that there because like, if you just say, I want to believe bad things, it's a weird thing to convince yourself of. I I have, I have a good example. Um, and I think it's a good note to end on. Uh, but first, for next time, be sure to read uh, Meditation on Curiosity and Single Think. And my note to end on with the, with the Litany of Tarski is, I think that it's an easy example for many people to think of, especially people with, you know, raised on stupid ideas of masculinity is like, if you're sick, um, you know, a lot of people put off going to the doctor, oh, I'll be fine. Or maybe it's nothing, mm-hmm. right? Um, w- w- instead, if you think this might be a problem, instead of thinking, instead of being scared away from like, oh, man, if it's something I don't want to, people think. I've caught myself thinking I don't want that to be true, right, right. and so like if it's true, it already. I don't is. want to face it, if this is like cancer. Ex- or, exactly, yeah. and but if it is, you want to know you, you want to believe it before yeah. you know. Uh, well, you want to believe it as soon as possible. If it's cancer, uh, it is cancer, whether or not I believe it. Exactly, and I uh, want to believe it. And you want to catch cancer early, yeah. right? Thing, and do something about it before it becomes decided. Yeah, to that effect, um, I have a friend who. Uh, He's so if you're if you're pitching this, I, I've got a request to everybody. I put this out in the Bayesian Conspiracy Discord um, yesterday or the day before, and uh, I figured, hey, let's hit a slightly larger audience. Um, I have a friend who has a grade four uh, high grade glioma, which is a brain tumor. They went and operated about operated out about eighty five percent of it, um, but basically, uh, short version, the prognosis isn't good. This is uh, not one of the good cancers to get, even as far as brain cancers go. Um, so I, if anyone works in, and you know, we've talked to a lot of interesting people on this show, mm. you know, we talked with, um, you know, Robert McIntyre, mm-hmm. you know, who, who is like the only person in the world doing what he does. We, we hit some, we hit some, some fringe audiences with like the edge of science. And while I realize that the odds of, you know, anyone listening, knowing the cure for brain cancer, um, is small, 
if anyone has any ideas or knows anybody who's working on some cutting edge, you know, uh, like, you know, fringe science almost sounds like pseudoscience, but I, I mean, like, you know, clinical trial stuff, anything that's about to accept humans and isn't yet because it's that early, anything at all, um, or knows anyone who might, please uh, shoot me an email at, is it Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll get back to you. I really appreciate it. And uh, I can't think of a more succinct way to put it. So yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. yeah. Fuck cancer. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, on a happier note, um, we'll be back. Actually, I've got a quick question before our next episode. Mm. Because we both read the same article and came to different conclusions on it. Okay. What, and this will be a, a teaser for people to think about going into the next episode. All right. How, how do you think about and define hate? Because I feel like that's really important to our interpretations of this, of, this, of this article. I define hate as an emotion that you feel that is uh, similar to anger, but with more loathing and, um, and impetus to do something mixed in. Okay. All right. Do we want to tell people what we're reading for next week? What the post is called? Eh, no, let's keep it. Let's keep it decent. All right. Let's not. Let's not let them think about it until we tell them what to think about it. Uh, that's exactly. This should be a one-way channel of information <laughs> from us to the listener. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got a patron to thank. We do have a patron to thank. Uh, our patron this week is Daniel Nadal Nadalny. Yeah. Okay, Daniel Nadalny. Thank you very much for supporting us, for helping everybody bring the good news of Satan to our listeners. <laughs> uh, we we hope that we have spent your your donation in a good way. I, I hope he agrees too. Thanks, Daniel. You rock. Thank you. All right. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about hate. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. Bye-bye, everybody.